We are back. The Out of the Box podcast has returned from what feels like a long hiatus, but it's really just been a week. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. We've got a really fun show. The regular season is almost done. The postseason is almost here. And Tom, we got to spend a weekend that we'll talk about more in a minute relaxing. We didn't have to talk. We Mm -hmm. just got to sit back. You got to spend time with your family. I got to see my dogs. It was great. And I think it was much needed. We'll talk again more about that in a minute, but it was nice to have a break. To be honest, when we talk about some of these games, I didn't watch a whole lot of softball this past weekend. (laughs) I mean, I did keep up with what happened overall, but I didn't just sit down and watch a lot. You know, I needed, you know, a little bit of a break. I needed to decompress. And if I, I haven't played a game yet. So if I needed it, I'm sure the players needed it as well. So I really hope that this bye week came at an absolute perfect time for the Crimson Tide to be able to make that push toward in the postseason. But uh, really enjoyed the weekend as uh, as a normal civilian. It was yeah, it was right. In, it was interesting. Yes, <laughs> I won't name names, but I did earlier tonight run into a player in Publix, and I said, "How was your weekend?" And she said, "I slept a lot." Right. I was like yeah. same. Yeah. I understand (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, not only, you know, the grind of the season, because it's not necessarily, it's not like a six month or an eight month season, like some other sports have, but it's a lot of games packed into, you know, into a few months. uh, Plus that travel issues that that we had at the end, at the end of it, after A&M and Western Kentucky, it's just a grind. And and I I think it kind of got a might've got to some of the players a little bit, might've got to the team. And so I'm really like it did to us. So I'm really, I'm really hoping that uh, everyone's got rested up and ready for this home stretch. Yeah. The fatigue was real, but we yes. are ready. Now we are we rested. Let's do it. Let's roll. We yes. got a good show, Tom. Listen to the guy who didn't watch much softball this weekend. <laughs> Talk about softball. It's going to be fun. Don't worry. I watched okay, too good. much of it as the group text <laughs> can attest. Here's our trip around the bases. We will start at the plate and talk about Alabama, talk about the bye week and then kind of do an actual look at what we think the lineup should be in the pitching rotation. And really in particular the lineup, because we know what the issue has been. It's been situational hitting. So I've got a lineup that I crafted. I'm sure you have an idea of what you would like to see as well this weekend against Missouri. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Then we will advance to first and break down the sec. We've got an awards discussion pitcher of the year now wrapped up a player of the year and freshman of the year are real cloudy messes right now. You know, and as much as the pitcher was, and it it really came into focus the last couple of weeks, but uh, the other ones, it's not that nobody has been good. It's just a lot of people have been good, but no one has really separated themselves. Right. So it's going to be interesting to to look through and see who really is in contention if the people that vote on it will actually look at the stats and and do all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. We'll also look at all the SEC series, FGCL Player of the Week, and then we will steal second with two people, Tom, and me. You, you weren't there. That's no. okay. Yeah. Right. But the requirement for the stealing second segment of the show is three people at least. Yeah, right. So I brought in our friends, Caleb Bro and Madison Shipman to talk about everything. And, and I heard that someone else made a special appearance as well. Well, it wouldn't be a Zoom with Caleb Bro without Dylan. Oh, of I course. mean, come on, chilling <laughs> with Dylan. That's like the unofficial catchphrase of the pod. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that's what we'll do when we steal second. We will round third. New bracketology. I have... Let me tell you, it's not easy to do this right now because there are so many little parts that are dictated by the minutiae in the resumes right now. And those problems will be solved in the next week. So 
it's almost kind of a pointless exercise, but I did the best I could. <laughs> Here, this is what you come to the podcast for, pointless exercise. That's right. That's all we do. We're just trying to give you an right. escape right? like we had this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Then we will head home. We've got picks. We mm. have a new leader. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then off the wall. Oh, and uh, we, look, we, we've got the usual off the wall fair, and then we're going to have a serious conversation about off the wall and why we do that segment. Because there's been a lot that's happened in college sports and college softball in the last week. And it's shined a light on uh, how impactful words can be. So that'll be later. For sure. For now, let's talk about Alabama as we start the play. Mm. We can touch on the Western Kentucky game. Do we have to? I mean, that was a week ago. (laughs) Do we have any other thoughts or or should we just transfer that into the conversation looking ahead this weekend? Well, I mean, we haven't actually talked about it on on the podcast, so we probably should. Uh, reference it at least a little bit um i thought montana fouts was amazing was dominant stellar it was kind of a microcosm of not necessarily entire season but kind of the the last couple weeks of alabama offensively because even as as recently as the mississippi state series alabama was being extremely clutch they were getting getting the timely hits exactly when you needed them had the big comeback obviously in the one game just could not get hits of runners in scoring position. I don't know how many times I said that'll be, that'll do it for Alabama with two, three runners left on base. Uh, So it's not the lack of hits. It's the lack of hits at the right time. Um, And you're facing a fifth year senior pitcher in the biggest home game she's ever pitched in. And she had a great game and that's what can happen. That combined again, like I talked about with what happened at the end of the Texas A&M series uh, the travel issues that Alabama had, not making excuses, just saying things that had happened. Just the length of time we spent on a bus for, for nothing else. You know, I wasn't shocked that Alabama wasn't real crisp. I was frankly surprised Alabama lost the game. Yeah. But I wasn't surprised that it was it was tough. Well, I wanted to spin that forward because, you know, the, the key discussion that we had post-game that we've had on the air – the last four games is situational hitting. And as you talked about, Alabama has struggled with runners in scoring position. It combined three for 36 in the last four games. That's, that's not going to cut it. No, that's not going to win. No. Very often. But as we talked about last week, again, this kind of came out of nowhere because I went through the list on the SEC website and pulled out situational hitting for every team in conference play. Alabama's third with runners on base at 298 and fourth in runners in scoring position and conference play hitting with 289. Those are pretty solid numbers. So the perplexing part again is where did it come from? But I think the calming part is, well, if it appeared out of nowhere, it can probably go away pretty quickly too. And I feel like the best way to fix that as Madison Shipman's going to talk about in a bit is just to, to take a step back, to have a weekend where you get to you know, sit by the pool and catch up on your sleep and not be 1000% thinking about every little mechanical thing to, to get the chance to clear your mind. And then you can come back, refocus, and hopefully that leads to a little better execution in the clutch moments this weekend. Yeah. And you certainly hope that that rest got them refocused to where, you know, we don't know, we haven't, haven't talked to any of the coaches or anything, but, you know, the last couple of days of practice, I hope have been really, really good. Uh, and then, that can spin forward to playing well this weekend because they like said just a mental as much as a physical step back than a refocus uh, I, I think it could be the, the difference yeah hopefully it is 
I mean, again, you know, sleep is important. Mm. When you catch up on your sleep, you feel better, as I have learned this right. week. And there's a difference between sleeping in your bed and sleeping on a bus. Right. I'll just go ahead and say that. <laughs> I didn't have that luxury driving myself. <laughs> right. yes. I don't recommend that. No, that's, yeah, good, good job <laughs> staying awake. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I just, again, I feel like this bye week came at the perfect time. And now we we look forward to the Missouri series this weekend. You've got the Tigers at six o'clock on Friday. Saturday, we're going to talk a lot about that day in a moment. Missouri, 1230 p.m. Central Time. And then Sunday, the regular season finale. Mm. Wow. Yeah. One o'clock Central Time on ESPNU. Of course, we'll have radio coverage for all three of those games. I'm doing TV Friday and Saturday. Missouri comes in pretty darn hot. And I'm sure a part of you, Tom, feels validated because you were singing the praises, as was I, but you sure. more so than me, yeah. about what this team could be. And now they're finally starting to play like it. Of course, great. the downside. Wonderful. They're right. playing like it coming to Tuscaloosa. <laughs> it's like that great job getting it all together, Larissa, right before you come to Tuscaloosa. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it, they're a team that's finally playing up to the potential that they had. A team that has eight seniors from a top eight seed last year. Basically, everybody returning uh, struggled to start off the year a little bit inexplicably, but uh, sometimes it just takes a little while for things to gel, and they certainly gelled for the Tigers here. Uh, so they come in, and and they got a lot to prove and, and can really improve their uh, standing going into the conference tournament as well with yeah. a good performance here in Tuscaloosa. Well, even though the conference championship is all but locked up, congratulations to the Razorbacks. We'll talk more about that later. There's still so much to play for. Alabama trying to you know, climb as high as they can in the NCAA tournament seating. Two wins will lock up the two seed in the SEC tournament. Missouri, you know, they're right now in fourth. If they win this series or get a sweep, they're locked into a bye at the SEC tournament. And also, as we'll discuss in Bracketology, Missouri is right now on the cusp of being a regional host. They have come on hot. Their resume looks real good. There's a lot there. And a, a win or two in Tuscaloosa, even just one win, could put them in a great position to be a top 16 seed. Which a month ago oh. would not have thought of as I know they weren't on the, on the docket. They no, they the they were not last week on the document. <laughs> so they're I mean yeah they're they're playing as as hot as you can right now at the best possible time. Uh, obviously, I'm sure Larissa and everybody would like to have been able to stretch it out throughout the conference so they could have have that shot to being the conference champion. Like I thought they might have had a chance to do, but uh, certainly playing at that level right now and now. Alabama has to uh, has to match that. Yeah, you know they they have to kind of find it. That's you know what's been lost in the last week and a half. They kind of have to find it, and that's what hopefully this off week has helped them do. Now let's dive into Saturday. It is Alabama Sports Hall of Fame Day. We've got an early game. I wonder who had a hand in that. <laughs> <laughs> and then that night we've got the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame banquet with our fearless leader Patrick Murphy being inducted in the class of 2022. As we talked about months ago. I went to the banquet last year and I was looking through the docket and I was like, there's nobody from softball. And then mm -hmm. lo and behold, a year later, here we are, Patrick Murphy going in. Incredible. Awesome. So excited for him. And I, I can't wait to go. I'm going, you're going, a lot of us are going. It's yeah. going to be a real celebration about a guy who uh, we owe a lot to, you know, this podcast wouldn't exist <laughs> if Patrick Murphy hadn't said, yeah, Tom Canterbury can have a partner back in 2017. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot that he's done for us. And, and I'm had, glad that we get to celebrate him. Had he not signed off on Tom Canterbury showing up in 2015, <laughs> right? Uh, this would, uh, this would certainly not be there either. So yeah, obviously really uh, extremely well-deserved honor uh, for coach Murph as he's, really put softball on the map in the state of Alabama. That's for sure. And, you know, over 1100 victories, you know, the national championship in 2012 and 
you know, has right now still, I would maintain uh, outside of the state of Oklahoma, the most popular softball program in America. For sure. And don't forget the two most incredible stats. He's been to the World Series over half of his years right. at Alabama as the head coach. And this is a program that has never missed Super Regionals as long as right. they've existed, it's- which is still, to me, the most insane thing he's ever done. Maybe even more so than the national championship. Right. It's just the the unbelievable consistency of the program at a high level. It has been to every Super Regional round there's ever been. That dates back to 2007. 2007, also the last year, Alabama lost a single game in regionals. <laughs> Two th- how old were you in 2007? I was 10, right? Tom. 10. 10. Wow. 10. I and now say- I can rent a car and everything. <laughs> I-, I won't say how old I was. I-, I, was- <laughs> I was married and making a living already, but that's still a long time ago. Uh, so, I mean, just unbelievable consistency and to be able to do it at that high of a level part of it is because of what he's created at the Rhodes house and, and what you know it is a destination spot yes you know it's, it's a place it has the largest capacity of any campus softball facility in the nation and the wait list is extremely long to, mm-hmm. to get in so you're selling out almost every game uh, pretty much every major game that there is anything on the weekend it's sold out you, know, you got people trying to get in to a, to a stadium that already seats the most in the country. It's just, it's, an, it's so impressive. The people that he brings in the caliber of player that he brings in both on and off the field, I think has a lot to do with that as well. For sure. Um, the coaches that he's had around him uh, just been a tremendous environment and program that he's created. And I'm glad to see him being recognized by the state. Absolutely. Much deserved coach. And I will say, to add to your point a bit, I think what excites me the most about this weekend, it feels like it's been a month since we've done this podcast, but it feels like it's been two months since we've been in a true Rhodes House environment, because no offense to all the patrons who came for that Tuesday matinee with North Alabama and Alcorn State, but mm-hmm. that wasn't true Rhodes House. Right. And so we've got a, a home crowd. I believe all three are sold out. And yeah. if, yeah, they are. They are. So it's going to be popping. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, I'm sure there's going to be recognition of murph in the hall of fame on saturday oh i've already sent multiple stats for graphics for that day it's going to be a focal point of a tv broadcast well there you go so you got that and then you know kaylee tao senior day on sunday grandma's finally getting out of here but it's it's going to get in the walker yes wow so it's going to be it's going to be a really fun weekend and hopefully alabama plays up to that level to make it a, a just a great weekend all the way around so let's talk about what has to happen Mm. lineup changes get a hit with scoring people in scoring position <laughs> it, it is that's that, to happen it is that simple right it but really is i did draw out what i would love to see the lineup be for this weekend and and tell me your thoughts okay um because i i might need to defend a couple of these decisions but i'm, I'm prepared for that leading off is actually praying i feel like of all the things that we've seen in the last two weeks that for sure seems most clear-cut praying is really settled into that leadoff spot. Yes. I've got Jenna Johnson back up at two, Allie Shipman at three, Bailey Dowling at four, Kaylee Tao at five, that three, four, five. We'll turn it on again eventually. Right. Jenna Lord at the two at the uh, six spot, Bloodworth at seven, Watered Grill, however you want to do it, at eight, <laughs> and Dallas Goodnight at nine. And I think 
part of my reasoning for that is first off, I think Dallas Goodnight has shown while maybe not getting a ton of hits of late that the at-bats have, in my opinion, been better the last yeah. couple games. Agreed. And we're at the point in the year where you, you got to put your talent out there. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much she's struggling, Dallas Goodnight is for sure one of your most talented players. So yeah. she's got to be in the lineup somewhere. And then with Jenna Johnson, I'm kind of betting the odds a little bit. She's not going to be this cold forever. You know, the 0 for 10 of the last five games is insane, but she's going to break out of that at some point. And this offense has worked at its best when either Dallas Goodnight or Jenna Johnson have been in the 1-2 spots in terms of overall offensive scoring and production. Jenna Lord has done a great job in the 2 spot, but the offense behind her hasn't done a ton when she's gotten on base. So I I frankly just put this together kind of looking at the Florida series and what that lineup looked like with Prangy up at the one spot, just to see if you can generate the same potency that you had in that series. Cause I think we can both agree. That's probably the best weekend the offense has played all year. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the only thing I would say would, I would still be a little bit hesitant uh, putting Jenna back up at the two until she shows that she's breaking out of the slump. I agree. I think if she's hitting like she's capable of doing, then I, I'm all for being at number two, but with her struggling as much as she is, I, I would be, probably a little bit more comfortable with her hitting at seven with Bloodworth at six and Lord at two. Like you said, I think that all depends on, you know, three, four, five has to knock in. Yeah. Pranging and Lord, they get on. Right. And so I, I, I don't, I don't, don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it almost doesn't matter who's hitting number two, three, four, five has to do their job. Right. No, I, I'm with you. I think also with Jenna, the other thing, she's so good at executing the small ball that if that's a way that you kind of want to get her back into the swing of things, but she can do that wherever, I, you know, I think that lineup changes, like you said, it really doesn't matter unless Shipman, Dowling, and Tao can be the RBI producers. We know they can be. Dowling, three for 18 in the last five games. Shipman, one for 12. And Tao's, you know, three for 11. That's fine. But they're not driving in a bunch of runs. Right. And they have to do that because when Allie Shipman has an RBI this year, Alabama's 21-2. and Right. I looked that up today. Oh, there you go. And, uh, yeah, so, so that meat of the order just has to, frankly, be better. Right. And I don't, I don't think you change that me the order. It, I think you have, you leave it like it is, and just you know expect them to yeah. do better. Again, you just play the odds, <laughs> right? Know? Yeah, as much success as I've had in casinos. Sure, right? Yes. Pitching rotation, Fouts kill foil Fouts. And there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I hated to see what happened with uh, Jayla yeah. in, in the first inning against Western Kentucky. And the frustrating thing is, even with You've seen it with Montana too this year. It's rare that she just gets hammered. Jayla wasn't getting hammered. She was making good pitches, but then just the one was a little bit off, and then the the ball from a Western Kentucky batter was finding a hole. Right there, you know, there was I think there was one really solidly hit ball by the Hilltoppers. Uh, other than that, you know, it's just balls with eyes, which you know that that happens, and your offense has to be able to back you up and help you, but. Uh, I don't think Jayla pitched as poorly as the stats show that she did in that in that in the one inning that she got to pitch. So I, I don't think you totally give up on her or Salter pitching uh, moving forward. But these games now, to where you know there are major consequences if you lose games, uh, you got you got to ride with Montana and, and Lexi. Totally, and I think, however, you know we we know that. We know that Lexi hadn't totally looked like herself her last couple appearances. I think that if you need to make a change quickly in a game, I think Salter is the move right now, especially, again, we talked about this a little bit. I think Salter's 
scouting report actually matches up better in the SEC because it's such a velocity shift right. that these power five hitters don't see that much. And it worked against Mississippi State. Uh, I think that, you know, if you've got Kilfoyle throwing 68, Montana throwing 70, 71, and then you bring in Salty, he's throwing 61, 62, right. that, you know, that does take an adjustment and that gives your offense time to figure things out. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen that when Alabama at, at times plays uh, a lower level competition that has kind of a junkie type pitcher that goes out there. Sometimes it's hard for the offense to figure it out just right. because you're not used to seeing that type of thing. I think Salter's better than that, uh, but kind of like you said, the, the change from uh, velocity-wise from what you see from uh, Kilfoyle and Fouts that does kind of work out really well for Salty. Okay, are you ready to put it in play? Sure. Who are we? I, I don't know. Who do we, <laughs> Let's be Caleb Bro. Sure, yeah, yes. sure, let's throw it back. We're Caleb Bro. <laughs> we're throwing it back. I'd say Madison Chipman, but, you know, she's a gap-to-gapper. We, we have to right. get to first. We're just getting to first. Yeah, so we're going to be Bro. We're going to lay down a bunt. And we're going to advance to first. And we come back, all the awards, plus what's happening in the SEC. Arkansas is your SEC champion again. We'll talk about that when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Greg Robertson, Tom Canterbury. We've put it in play, and now we're advancing to first here on the show. Episode 52, Tom. Wow. Yes, amazing stuff. And we begin, of course, the advancing to first segment, talking about the SEC. And as we did last year, going into the final weekend, because by the time we do another show, awards will be out. We look at player of the year, pitcher of the year, freshman of the year. And we start with SEC player of the year. I've got four nominees. And uh, I went back and watched Rally Cap. Madison Shipman detailed pretty much the same four. So I feel like it's up for grabs between these players. Lenny Malkin at Arkansas. KB Sides at Arkansas, Sarah Mosley at Georgia, and Aaron Koffel at Kentucky. Uh, it, I, I think that, as I'm going to talk about in a bit with Bro and Chip, I think it depends on how the teams finish. You know, if you can get a scenario where Georgia and Kentucky get that by, I, I think Georgia in particular, Mosley's got a great resume, you know, hitting 491 in conference play with 17 RBIs. She's all over the category rankings and the numbers look real good. If Georgia can finish well, I can see Sarah Mosley getting it. Otherwise, if you're down to the two Arkansas players and Sides and Malkin, what do you value? You know, overall effectiveness like Sides has or the, the scary factor. You know, Malkin's hitting 414 with eight homers and 27 RBI. And then, of course, you can't forget about Aaron Koffel. I mean, there, there are so many ways this could go. Yeah, there really is. And it's going to be interesting to see, too, if Arkansas tries to do it strategically because there's a good possibility that Mulkin and Sides could split a vote. Right. So if that happens, that could make it even more of a case for a Koffel or a Mosley to, to swoop in there. So I think if you're Arkansas, I don't know how you do it, but you got to pick one, and I don't know how you do it from those two. Uh, if I had to pick, I'd pick Mulkin out of those two, but – KB's had a tremendous year too. I, I don't know. I'm with you. It's, it's, it could go any way. I think it's going to be nice actually to have a genuine sense of surprise. Cause I feel like the last couple of years we've, we've had a pretty good inkling of how it's going to go. We felt confident about Bailey Hemphill last year. We felt pretty good about Abby cheek in 2019 this year. You know, you've got four players with amazing cases who are all on pretty good teams. Yeah. Cause I mean, somebody like a Haley Lee probably, has put up numbers that could be 
in the conversation, but they're not going to give it to somebody who's right. at the bottom of the league team wise. Yeah. So you, it's going to have to be somebody that's either winning the league or in the top four or five. And uh, that's all, all these players are in that. Uh, if I had to pick one from these four, I would probably say Aaron Koffel's going to win it, but it can go anyway. Well, Kentucky's got a little ace up their sleeves and that's the fact that they closed with South Carolina. Oh, so well, there you go. So that is helpful. Yes. And if they sweep that, I, I kind of did the math. I think a sweep there almost guarantees him a first round buy. And if, you know, against South Carolina, you have a chance to, to really pump up the numbers. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I can ninth get, in RBI. She might be fifth by the time they finish playing South Carolina. Yeah. Sarah Mosley's numbers though, they're 491 in conference play. That's an insane batting average. It really is. It's insane what Arkansas has done period. Right. And then both these players have, have led the way. So, but then again, you know, we, we we're going to talk in a second about pitcher of the year feels pretty safe that Shanice Dels is going to win pitcher. In my opinion, feels pretty safe. Courtney Diefel is going to win coach of the year again, player of the year. Maybe the coaches don't want to give everything to Arkansas. We've yeah. seen that in the past. You know, it's coaches very, wanting to spread the love. It's very rare, even in a season, and this hasn't been one of those seasons, but even in seasons when one team has been far and away the best team in the conference, rarely do they sweep all the awards. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I could see that being the case, too. If, if Arkansas wins everything else, then let's do the player some, somewhere else. Speaking of pitcher of the year, Shanice Dels, congrats to her. Out of nowhere, adding a pitch in the middle of the year. Incredible stuff. We knew she was good at Tulsa. I didn't know she had this in her. And I, I think that in a year where pretty much every pitcher has taken their lumps, Dels did slightly early in conference play, but has been shut down since then. Very strong Sarah Cornell vibes yeah. from what Dels has been able to do this year, coming from a mid-major, stepping in in a rotation where she wasn't expected to be the number one. So similar to... Sarah and what she was able to do in Montana for Montana's freshman year half obviously pitched some really big games. Uh, but you know, she, she did get knocked around a little bit more than we were expecting. Dels on the other hand, it has been really, really solid. and has been one of the main reasons why Arkansas is going to win the league freshman of the year. Oh my gosh. What? Who? Who? I don't, what? <laughs> how? Why? I don't know. I wrote down, how many is a seven? I've got seven. I added another one from the list <laughs> because Brie Ellis at Auburn won freshman of the week this week. So you've got Nelia Peralta at Auburn who's hitting 290. You know, she's got good RBI numbers. Blair Boutte was both of our midseason picks. She's hitting 328. The numbers are solid. I think Megan Bloodworth being a national freshman of the year finalist absolutely makes her at least a candidate for this right at a 317 batting average the rbi a little bit low at nine katie dack at a and m hitting 341 but she doesn't have a ton of that bat she's got pretty much the same number as blood and jenna lord as well i've got on this list caitlin riley at Ole miss she's doing it at the plate and in the circle and then uh, brie ellis as i mentioned your sec freshman of the week this week this is one of those situations where truly i don't know and i think it's going to come down to who makes that great lasting impression the final weekend of the regular season yeah i think that this is definitely an award that is going to be decided this weekend because like you said no one has really separated themselves there's a lot of players like all these seven that have had overall really good seasons but they've had either you know a couple a uh, few weeks that they've had you know off weeks um, i remember at a&m dak didn't even start all three games right still got freshman of the week i think right? <laughs> she did yeah so i mean that's so that's kind of reason one of the reasons why her at bats are a little bit low is because she's not not a full time starter. And I think it's hard 
to give somebody that's not a full-time starter this award. But somebody like Megan Bloodworth, if she has a, a, a weekend like she did back in Tucson, uh, can really, you know, make that lasting impression and get a couple of those numbers up and, and she's right there. If she hits 700 with eight RBIs again, mm. Megan Bloodworth, you yes. did it. Just congratulations. <laughs> All you need is a grand slam, a couple That's other it. homers, a triple. It'll be fun. <laughs> First inning grand slams yes. from the seven hole. I yes. like it. Let's try it. If that happens, I'll feel real good about the weekend. I'll uh, as will I, partner. <laughs> yeah, freshman of the year, just stay tuned. Yeah. It's it's going to be who knows what. Nothing has been decided. Not at all. <laughs> Let's look at the series. And we will start, of course, with Arkansas, sweeping South Carolina as we expected. Mm. Uh, South Carolina, we're not going to spend a ton of time on them. It seems like that door for the NCAA tournament has closed. But the Hogs did what they had to do. Things got slightly testy for like five minutes in game two, but otherwise a pretty comfortable series. And Courtney Dyfel, you know, we've talked so much about her. We've sung her praises. She's done it again, you know, even with that hunted label on her team and even with so many new faces and even in a year where the pitching staff wasn't as strong for the most part as it was last season with half and storms, this offense was remarkable in all of conference play and they earned this. And Arkansas is going to be seeded extremely high once the NCAA tournament bracket comes out in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I'll be the first to admit when I'm wrong about something. And I, I did not think Arkansas was being a, going to be able to follow up the, what they did last year with what they've done this year. And, you know, I'll credit to them. They've done they've been able to handle that being the hunted uh, label really, really well this year. Got out there, took care of their business and. It's been, it's been a really impressive performance by the Razorbacks all season long. Yeah, just, you know, with sides, Ellsworth, Dels. I mean, you've got these newcomers who have made an instant splash. Danielle Gibson is having a career year. And it I, I think it actually speaks even higher of the team that what she's done this year doesn't constitute being one of the <laughs> last few names right. for SEC Player of the Year. Yeah. And Gibson's probably been the most consistent bat in the entire conference start to finish. Yeah, if you'd have told me when the season started that Mary Half was not going to be on the even considered right now for pitcher of the year, I'd say, well, I think I'm right with my prediction on Arkansas. Now. Right, totally. But, but they've been able to, with Dels's performance and then with what their offense has been able to do, been able to withstand Half not having the type of year that you were expecting from her. And she's now obviously at the end of the year now pitching well. So there we go. Yeah, your SEC pitcher right. of the week, Mary yes, Happ, exactly. by the way. Right. <laughs> uh, so Arkansas, congratulations to, to the Hogs. And uh, now I, I think that if you're Arkansas, you not to get too ahead of ourselves, but you look forward because what did Courtney Dyfel tell us in the offseason? That she believes that her team will end up in OKC. Now you have to do it. Right. And that will be the focus for them. But they're probably going to look at what the RPI has and all these other things and shows that, you know, if, Say Alabama wins the series against Missouri this weekend. Go, you know, go two two one. They win the series two one. There's probably a good chance that going in the SEC tournament, even though Arkansas will have won the regular season, Alabama will be higher in the RPI. So I think Arkansas will still go out and try to do as well as possible in the SEC tournament, just for seeding purposes and right. nothing else. Yeah, certainly. I don't recommend losing the first. Game. No, <laughs> don't, don't never, do that. never recommend doing that. No, you don't want to have that long wait for the NCAA tournament selection show. No, Florida, what a weekend in Baton Rouge. So LSU, seventeen hits in game one. They run rule the Gators nine to one. I'm sitting there thinking, oh no, 
I picked Florida to win that series. What the heck? What a disaster. And then Florida dominates game two, 6-1. Nine innings are played in game three. Cheyenne Lindsay, after four strikeouts on her fifth at-bat, gets a solo home run in the ninth to win it 2-1. It wasn't the sexiest way to win. Florida, for the most part, couldn't get hits off Hallie Kilponen until the timely home run from Lindsay. But this seems like the kind of result knowing the Tim Walton teams we've seen in the past that could spark something for these Gators going forward. It could. And so we'll see what happens there off this weekend from conference play. Uh, they played Mercer this week. Yeah. Fighting Lindsay Ficos. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, the fighting bears. We'll see what happens, but then, you know, they could really use a good run in the sec tournament. Uh, and we'll see if this sparks them to that. I think this also is kind of a microcosm of LSU season yep. of big victory, unable to capitalize. Totally. LSU. If you win that series, you're actually in great shape for hosting regionals. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that it's a total crapshoot these last couple weeks because there's so there are so many little tiny hairs splitting each team. The, but you, that, you the, can't lose a series at home no. when you've got the one nothing lead already after game one. You, you can't mm-hmm. finish it like this. No, absolutely. Especially being at home, like you said. And my my fear is. I'm scared the committee is not looking at those those hairs the way that we are. But, oh boy. Yeah, but that that's a different discussion for different times. But LSU, it's just been a lack of consistency all year long. They have obviously the talent to be able to run roll Florida. 17 hits. Yeah. yeah. They've been able they have that type of talent but then turn around and lose two at the end and uh that's been what they've done all year. Everybody was just too tired from Garth Brooks. Uh, well, I guess so. Now I was worried. <laughs> did was there damage from the earthquake that was from that was registered when Colin Baton Rouge started? Maybe. I mean, our friend Amanda Scarborough was there. Oh, really? And I haven't talked to her specifically about the concert, but I still maintain the Garth Brooks concerts I went to is the greatest concerts I've ever been to. It's number one on my list. Garth Brooks, if you're listening, we right. would love to have you on the Out of the Box podcast, and also at Brian Denny. I don't know right. why that hadn't happened. Well, who do we call? I don't know, but they're, he's coming to Protective Stadium. Okay, that's much smaller and right. not oh, yeah. across the street. It is, correct. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, if he comes here to, to Brian Denny, we're just going to the to the roof. We're oh, not even going to have to go. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, we can see the field. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Missouri sweeps A&M. We talked a little bit about the Tigers already. Every time I looked up at this game, somebody was hitting a home run. Hattie Moore, three home runs in the extra inning game one victory. Larissa knows how to fire up her team. I'm, I'm really happy for my friend Michaela Transu, who uh, has has taken on a lot of the offensive work for this team, and it's all starting to come together right now for the Tigers. And yeah, great. I know. Wonderful. But as we talk, you know, we'll talk about in a bit. This is a program now that's in a really good postseason position. And let's say they don't host. Do you want Missouri in your regional? Heck no. no. Actually, if I'm Missouri, I may want to get that 17 or 18 and not be the 16 seed. So I'm not matched up with Oklahoma. And have to go to like a Northwestern or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So you're not necessarily automatically matched up with Oklahoma and the supers 40 chess. Oh, Tom. <laughs> Some fans are going to be like, that's so dumb. Yeah. But I agree with you. Kentucky takes two or three from Mississippi state. I have no thoughts. <laughs> it it kind of went about the way we both expected. Well, again, I didn't watch much. So <laughs> if you have no thoughts, I have no thoughts. Okay. Auburn wins the first two against Georgia. Georgia wins game three, but the Tigers behind a really great crowd. I watched pretty much all three of these games start to finish. Solid pitching. And I think impressively game two, 
a very good performance from KK Dismukes. And I know that's one of the reasons why you picked Georgia to win that series. Right. I was on, I was on it with you. I thought if she was the starter and went complete, it probably didn't mean good things for the Tigers, but credit to her won a really tight game four three. Well, apparently KK listened to the podcast and used it <laughs> as motivation. So you're welcome. <laughs> that's what you're here to provide. That's what I do, right. I fire up the opponent. That's my job. Apparently. <laughs> Finally, Ole Miss in Tennessee. Wow. This, this, this might shocking. be the most shocking series of the year. Yeah. Is that an over-exaggeration? Uh, I don't know. It's it's definitely up there if it's not the number one. Yeah. Ole Miss walks it off in game one. Tennessee coasts in game two, 10 to one and six. And then Ole Miss wins game three on Monday Night Softball, three to one. So the Rebels take the series over Tennessee, who had a ton to play for, right. not just in the conference race, but also they're right on that Super Regionals hosting cusp. You, you can't lose games like this extraneously you know maybe one you can get away with but to lose this series this late that's going to be tough to bounce back from because their profile is not strong enough to just overlook these results right and like you said not just in the in the overall seating but in the conference mathematically they had as good if not a little bit better chance than Alabama did going into last weekend of being able to catch Arkansas because right. of that one last one last game that they played and then you're playing a team like Ole Miss which you know, you should win that series and not able to do it uh, when they had all that to play for. It kind of makes you question what they're going to be able to do moving forward. That's what happened in the SEC. Shall we move to the FGCL corner? Okay. Okay. You know the deal. We have two of these left. We have after this week, we have next week, the regular season finale, and then we have conference tournament week for FGCL player of the week. And then are we going to do a player of the year at the end? We'll probably discuss it. Yeah. Last year it was, Pretty much, eh, Haley Lee wins. Right, we got it, right. <laughs> but this, I mean, this year, the fact that we've had one two-time winner of through 11 weeks, pretty pretty impressive. Right. Shows you that you know, the talent level that's coming down to Sarasota and Bradenton is going to be just off the charts as we continue to grow the league. Yes, and I should add, the schedule is out, a lot yes. of news coming, so follow at FGCL Softball on the Twitter for the, various press releases. The play-by-play crew is coming together. Woo! <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm so tired. Just so many phone calls. I'm sorry if I if you've been waiting on a text from me. So I have a lot of people, including my parents. Oh, All right, wow. here are the nominees for FGCL Player of the Week. Melissa Mayu, Louisiana, 6 for 11, 7 RBI, a homer, a triple, 4 doubles, a walk, a strikeout, and 3 runs scored. Merrill has returned. Mm. The Iron Lady, Mac Leonard, Florida State. Two innings, no hits, no runs, no earned runs, one walk and one strikeout. That came against Oklahoma State where she was the winning pitcher against a top 10 team. Really good work by Mack and a 2-1 victory for the Knolls over the Cowgirls in game one. Also, Mack, one for six with an RBI. That RBI tied up the game against Oklahoma State in that game one 2-1 victory for the Knolls. So, again, overwhelming weak stats, no, but moments for Mack Leonard, that's pretty good stuff. Melina Livingston, Michigan, two for 10, three RBI, a double, two strikeouts, but had the lone RBI and a one nothing win in game two against Minnesota, which for Michigan was really important. They lost game one. They needed to get that second game and then eventually won the series in game three. Mm-hmm. Lauren Lucas, Wichita State, four of 10, four RBI, a home run, three walks and seven runs scored. So coming around pretty much every time. <laughs> with the shockers with the hits and runners in scoring position oh my gosh their situationals would be absurd (laughs) and you know frankly not to get again too ahead of ourselves wichita state's not going to host but 
if you see them in your regional, mm. just pray, just pray that you have an offense that can combat that. Yeah. Because they're going to be tough. Jada McFarland, Maryland, six for 12, three RBI, a double and two runs scored. Allie Harrell, Marshall, four for eight, four RBI, two home runs, three walks, a strikeout and three runs scored. And finally, Danielle Romanello. Ooh, Tom, oh, sorry. She's not at Florida anymore. I know, it's, but it's, it's, a, it's a reflex. I apologize. San Diego State, mm-hmm. six for nine, two RBIs, a double, two walks, a strikeout, and two runs scored. So Tom will pick his two finalists, and then I'll pick a winner. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, wow. Okay. I am going to go with, for volume of big hits and overall total bases, Melissa Mayu. And because, like you said, of, of the moments, Mac Leonard. I'm going to go Melissa Mayu. Again, we're going to spread the wealth. Sorry, Meryl. But you know mm. what? Meryl Streep has been nominated for 21 Oscars and won three. Right. So sometimes <laughs> you get there and you don't come home with the trophy. Yeah. It's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Melissa Mayu, incredible stuff. Seven RBIs on six hits. And and look at, you know, six hits, all extra bases, four yeah. doubles, a triple, and a home run. That's, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah, that's why I was saying the total base is really, really impressive there. And games that Louisiana, frankly, needed to win as well. So congratulations, Melissa Mayu, your FGCL Player of the Week. We've got 12 weeks and 11 different players who've won this award, Tom. Very, very impressive. Such good stuff, like you said. Okay, are you ready? We've got the sign from the... Hall of Famer to be and already that was Patrick Murphy. <laughs> yes. It's time to steal second. Let's go. When we come back, bro, ship, they're here. We're all together. That's when we come back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Dre going solo here as we steal second on the show. And because I'm solo, we brought in two guests because we've always got to have three people for this segment. And I'm going to do my best SNL impersonation yet again to introduce everybody because who better to have on the stealing second portion of the show than Caleb Bro from ESPN and the Seven Innings podcast. And of course, the University of Alabama. Bro, how are you? Hey. I'm so great. It's great to be here, like stoked. I'm really excited for the next guest that you're about to introduce because this is really special when two of us get together. I know because we're bringing in your bestie whose sister right now is making sure people don't steal second at the University of Alabama from Tennessee, also from ESPN, also from the Seven Innings Podcast. Madison Shipman is here. Ship, how are you? I am great. I would just like to say that I always gave my best effort to try to prevent Kayla from stealing bases in our time playing against each other in college. And now she won majority of those battles, but luckily not every single game was on TV. So there's no video evidence of any of that, just statistical evidence. (laughs) We can't find any proof. Uh, Well, there, there is proof out there, I'm sure. And because I'm saying it, somebody's going to go and dig it up and see how many bases Kayla (laughs) stole on me. So I can't wait for that to pop up. I mean, the, luckily you can't take like all of the credit for that. Like, I mean, you need a catcher. You would just be like receiving on the receiving end of that. that but well, And thank goodness the obstruction wasn't around when we played. <laughs> I would have gotten called for that every single time I covered second. Uh, obstruction might come up later, by the way. So good segue. <laughs> I, I'm really glad that we've got both of you on here because I've got a bunch of questions and I want both of your opinions. Uh, Tom and I both love what you have to say about all of these SEC teams and there's so many topics to discuss. But we have to start with, Again, the champs, the Arkansas Razorbacks have done it again. They have clinched a share, and I would guess by Friday night, they're probably solo champs considering all they have to do is win one against A&M, and they've got it on lock. Maddie, I'll start with you. This Arkansas team, in my opinion, seems 
more dangerous than the one that we saw last year that was really good, but they seem to be more well-rounded this year. Do you agree? Does this team seem more primed to make a run once we get to the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, and I know Kayla likes to talk about her as well, but I think KB sides right at the top of their lineup completely changes the entire dynamic. And you think back to last year and they were the home run hitting team. They had people like Braxton Burnside that had Braxton Burnside that had phenomenal seasons for them. But I think KB has brought a completely different dynamic in the speed game and getting on base and plus the, the offensive power numbers that she's brought to that lineup as well. And you saw people like Lenny Malkin and Danielle Gibson and Hannah Gamble and Taylor Ellsworth, another stud transfer for them. You go one through nine in that lineup and there's just absolutely no break. Um, and even some players that, you know, take Lenny, for example, she had great power numbers last season, but she's really jumped up in her consistency this year. And I think that's what's impressed me the most out of this Arkansas team is that they haven't really had a ton of ups and downs throughout their season, but they have stayed consistently hot all year long. And, and I'd imagine that's just because of how much confidence they have in their teammates to be able to get the job done. They're not going up there putting the weight of the world on their shoulders because they have so many studs lined up behind them in that lineup. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And there's a couple of things that like stick out that are different between last year and this year's team. So last year they hit 261 as a team. This year they're hitting 346. And to put that in perspective, the best batting average on record in the SEC at the end of the year is 348 by Tennessee back in like 2011. Go balls, Maddie. Um, Thoughts on that? Uh, that was my freshman year, so yeah. I, I can I can confidently say that I probably dragged that uh, team batting average down a little bit, but luckily my teammates had my back. Uh, yeah, so I mean that's it, that's just a ridiculous batting average for a team. So that's the big difference. And then last year they averaged five runs a game. They're averaging over seven now, closer to seven and a half runs per game. And so when you look at um, the ability to score runs. That's where they fell short and trying to get to the women's college world series last year. They went against Arizona and Arizona is a great hitting team as well. And they got out hit in that, in that super regional. And uh, the other really thing that sticks out to me when I look at this team is we talk about KB sides, but KB sides has something that not a lot of other players have on that team. Or in fact, that probably no other player, unless I go back to like transfer portal stuff is that she's the only one with world series experience so she knows what it takes to get there and so that mentality to put that kind of leadership and understanding in the leadoff spot to you know feel that urgency to say you know what every single game matters and this is what it's going to take to get us to Oklahoma City she knows that she understands that and she sets the tone at the top of the lineup for that and bro I think the other thing that really sticks out a sentence that I never thought I would say if we you know, went back to February, Shanice Dels is going to win SEC Pitcher of the Year. I mean, holy cow, what a run she's been on. And she's unknown. That's why. It's because, you know, every single other pitcher in this league, for the most part, there's like a couple freshmen here or there, but for the most part, they're all returners. And there's just not a lot of new blood in this pitching circle this year. And so you have somebody that um, is number one unknown number two added a pitch mid-season so all of a sudden like in the middle of SEC play people are like wait what she throws a drop <laughs> like it just completely changed the game for her and it elevated her to one of the top tier pitchers in this conference and you're right she is going to be most likely pitcher of the year 
Kayla, could you imagine getting the scouting report on Shanice Dells and it says all curveball upspin and then you go up there your first at bat and she throws that gnarly drop ball coming in like high 60s and you're going, okay, wait a second, we're going to have to completely change our game plan. But I think the, the pitchers in the circle too, I think they work so well together. Mary Half is so seasoned. Uh, she's stoic every time she goes out there, you know what you're going to get out of her. And I love that Shanice comes in and throws that hard down pitch to really complement what Mary does because Mary's like going to mix some speeds. She's going to throw that rise ball in there. And then you've got somebody working that drop ball down in the zone. So as an opponent going into a weekend, having to face Arkansas, you have to work on hitting the rise ball. And also you have to work on hitting that hard drop ball. So I think that we've seen how deadly that combination can be throughout SEC play this year. That drop is ridiculous. I, I, I don't know if it was the highlights y'all pulled, but when you talked about it on Rally Cap, Maddie, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, goodness gracious, how is it, how is it doing that? She just it is, learned it. It is so nasty. And the fact that she learned it in just one day still blows my mind. And you talked to Coach Difel about it, and she said it was just such a, a casual conversation. It was like, hey, I think we're going to work this hard drop in. And Shanice is like, okay, let's do it. And then all of a sudden that weekend, they're working it into her regular pitch sequence during the game. So it speaks to a lot to the the type of person and the type of athlete that Shanice Dells is for that Razorback program. Okay, we have to talk about the Tide because I know both of you are watching like every game possible, bro, because you're an alum, Maddie, because you're, you've got your heart with Alabama right now with Allie. And it's been an interesting couple weeks and I think a much needed break for this team not having to play any games this past weekend. Bro, I'll start with you. Just your overall take on where Alabama is right now and what needs to happen this weekend against Missouri. Uh, yeah, for all of the um, Tide fans out there, I just would like to throw out a reminder that the year we won the national championship, like we lost to Georgia State, we lost to Fordham, like it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. So like a team's going to go through ups and downs, like it's a long season, like, and, and I agree with you, Gray, I think this break is really good because what I felt like for Alabama is like the weight of the world's on their shoulders and they're putting a ton of pressure on themselves and you can see it. They all want to succeed. They all want to do really, really well because that's what it means to go to the University of Alabama. So I think, you know, taking a step back, getting some perspective, um, taking a little bit of a break can really do wonders for everything from like your swing mechanics. It can kind of just like relax you a little bit and kind of get you out of some, you know, maybe some bad built up mechanics if you take a break. Um, I think also resting, getting your body a little bit healthier. And then, you know, when you miss a weekend of softball and it doesn't happen very often and you're watching everybody else, you kind of get that hunger back. You're like, okay, I, I can see everybody else is playing. Arkansas just won a championship. Like that kind of lights a fire under my butt because I that should be mine and it's not. And I think that can kind of like re-energize you for the for the home stretch. And, you know, with where Kilfoyle's at, I just think that, you know, it's gonna come down to bounce and uh, that's kind of what it looks like right now for the Tide. I feel like we've all been waiting for Montana to have, you know, that that type of game that we saw from her last year. And I definitely think that she still has it in her. And I can't agree with you more. I think that this break for Alabama could not have come at a better time. And when I look at the way that their schedule was laid out this year, a couple of Saturday, Sunday, Monday SEC series, and then some really tough midweeks jammed in there. And then there was another stretch where it was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series, and then a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series right back to back. So the other thing that you don't get to do when you're in the middle of season 
is really take the time to practice those fundamentals, those mechanics, and just kind of step away from the game a little bit. So I think that this break is definitely going to help Alabama moving forward, like Kayla's saying, getting that hunger back and just kind of refreshing your mind. Because to me, when I was watching them, it just looked like they were trying too hard to get a hit or trying too hard to get that pitch just in that right location. And the teams that make the deepest runs in the postseason are the ones that are playing free, playing out and going out there to have fun, being competitive and not out there hunting results, but just attacking the game plan, whatever that may be, one pitch at a time. So I think that this is the perfect time for Alabama to get back to those fundamentals because they're top ranked in the country for a reason. And I think we've all seen sparks of that throughout the year. And it's just a matter of them being able to come back and have the defense, the pitching and the hitting all firing on all cylinders in one game. Yeah. And real quick, I get the benefit because I get to talk to Ryan I who's the volunteer assistant and she's a former teammate of mine and to be quite honest she's like one of my best friends on the planet and uh I will say the one thing that she keeps telling me is how much she really loves the leadership on this team and the upperclassmen people like Tao, Shipman, Prangy just like those those people that have been in this program for a long not for a long time but are making an impact by the way they play that are in it every single day grinding she like loves those kids and uh, it's not just those three but those are the three that come to my mind so the leadership on this team's real and I think that's something worth noting. I think the more that you you the more seasons you spend in the SEC too, the more mentally you learn how to navigate the ups and downs of season. It, it's a total grind. I mean, every single weekend feels like a super regional. And I know we toss that phrase out a lot, but unless you've actually played in the SEC to experience it, it's hard to to really fathom how difficult that is every single year. And especially when you're a, a freshman too, and you're not used to failing on a regular basis and trying to come to terms with the fact that failing is okay. And even in this game, the best of the best are still failing what Kayla failing five out of 10 times yeah. batting 500 for her entire career absolutely insane but still you have to learn to manage those types of failures so I think that this is a team that could definitely make a deep run and again I'm hoping that this uh that this break for them really pays off I did want to pinpoint the hitting because one of the things you know when we track all these stats there seems to be something really obvious when I look at the board and that's been situational hitting in the last four games, the A&M series and the Western Kentucky series, Alabama's three for 36 combined with runners in scoring position. Maddie, is there a way at all to simulate that in practice or, or do you just simply have to be better in games when those moments come up? You can try to simulate it. You can try to, to scrimmage and have the live pitching. But at the end of the day, it comes down to these athletes being able to figure out how to manage those types of pressure situations when they get in the game. And I think as an athlete, I, I know just for me specifically, I knew that it was okay to have anxieties. It was okay to feel nervous. But how was I going to channel that energy into something positive on the field? And I think where you see some players maybe uh, let it overwhelm them a bit when they get into the box, uh, for me, I tried to channel channel that into a specific game plan, maybe hunting a specific pitch or even channeling it into confidence. Uh, I, I was convinced that I won 90% of my at-bats before I even walked into the box just because I believed that I was better than the pitcher that was out there in the circle. And I think sometimes uh, as hitters, we can kind of let our minds get the best of us. And when you have that thought in the back of your mind, like, oh, maybe she's going to beat me or maybe she's going to do this and I'm not going to be able to get it done, that can be overwhelming. So if you can just try to exude all of that confidence I think at the end of the day, it might end up taking a little bit of pressure off of yourself when you get into the box. Yeah, I think the other thing that I look at, and it's kind of a similar on the same wavelength as you, Maddie, is like when you're in situational hitting, the game sometimes gets sped up, right? And you're a young player in this league, you're, you know, there's a lot of young players in this tied lineup. 
and the game goes so fast. And there's like times I remember being a young player and going back to the dugout and being like, oh gosh, that just like went by like in the blink of an eye. Like I don't even remember like that at that because it was just so fast. Like everything happened really quickly. So if you can find ways to slow down, to really, really like think through the at bat before you even get to the box, like really, really use that on deck time to go through the process, what you're going to do, what happens if, you know, the person in front of you gets on base, where they're going to be. So that way, when you get up to the box, you can kind of slow down your mind, slow down your brain and really think situationally. And that seems kind of obvious, but again, the game moves so fast at the college level. Like it's just bang, 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 like three strikes. And you're like, Oh like crap, like what happened? Like, um, so I, I think for, you know, the young players, especially, it's just to find ways to get into your own rhythm, to breathe, to think ahead. And so that way, when that situation does come up, you're not like going back to the dugout and saying, oh, I should have done that. That would have been great to think about. Like, no, you should have thought about that in the dugout um, on the de on deck circle and then in the box. And you can tell like, you know, of course, there's the ex executional piece of it, but you can tell when you watch a, like a, an experienced player versus a young player situationally, there's like a huge difference sometimes mm -hmm. in the way they act in the box <laughs> when there's runners on base. It's like even like some of their swings in between pitches too. You can tell like when some players are really rushing because they're like hustling to try to get back in the box and some of your more veteran players are going to take their time. Nothing's going to change what they're doing. What's, nothing's going to change their routine when they get into the box. And I think those are the types of of things that you learn as you navigate play, not just even in the SEC, but really across the country too, as you just get more and more of those at bats under your belt, you figure out better ways to, to channel some of those uh, high anxiety, high pressure types of situations. So Alabama's trying to work all this out. And of course, coming in is Red Hot Missouri, the team that a lot of us thought would be really good and then they didn't look great. And now they're putting it all together naturally coming into Tuscaloosa. That's always how it works. Seven straight wins, couple sweeps in a row. Uh, bro, I'll start with you. What's been the difference? Because if you look at this team at the beginning of March, they were pretty average. And now they look like a team that could maybe even host a regional if they have a good weekend. Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly what happened to Missouri. Like, I wish I could tell you that, like, oh, they started doing this, <laughs> like something changed. But honestly, they just started to play like we all thought that they were going to at the beginning of the year. They have tons of talent. They are one of the best home run hitting teams in the league. Their numbers aren't as good as they were in the previous years, but they had every single piece to be successful offensively. And now all of a sudden it's like clicking. And I think of like a player like Hattie Moore, had a great year last year. She she mentioned it. She like had some adversity in the off season. Um, I think she was in a car accident that kind of um, delayed her success happening this season. And then she goes and hits three home runs in their opening game uh, last weekend against Texas A&M. Hits a walk off. Like those players are starting to step up and emerge. Like Kim Wirt's always been there, but it's like Kim Wirt's being even more Kim Wirt in the last few weeks. So I just think they're a dangerous team that has a lot of talent. And all of a sudden, it's something clicks, something registered for them. And I don't know what it is, but they're just playing the right way. Yeah, I think Jordan Weber has been throwing well for them in the circle, along with Lauren Krings. And I think they've just embraced the fact that, hey, this league's so good that the other teams are going to hit home runs too. But we've got a really veteran lineup. We've got a deep lineup and we can hit the ball 
ball for ball with a lot of these other teams out there. And, and it just seems like they are firing on all cylinders right at the right time of season. You never want to be that team that peaks in February. You want to be that team that is playing their best ball in May and in June. And I think that's what we're seeing so far out of Missouri. And honestly, at the beginning of the year, I kept telling my husband, I'm like, Missouri's my sleeper team. Like you, you never mm -hmm. want to go to sleep on them because of how many players and how many accomplished veterans they have in that lineup between Brooke Wilmus and Kim Ward and Hattie Moore, like you name it, you go up and down that lineup. There are so many good hitters and even some of their younger players like a Jenna Laird, you just figured it was going to be a matter of time before they were able to put it all together. And like you said, Gray, unfortunately for Alabama, they are putting it together right when they were coming in uh, to play Bama this weekend at the Rhodes house. Yeah. And I think this is like, you mentioned like your great mentality. I think this is happening all across the SEC as people are realizing like, well, we're not going to win a lot of two one ball games like those are pretty rare. So like, let's load up the runs like and that's where Alabama needs to get uh, into that change mentality because they've relied on their pitching staff because at one point in the season, their pitching staff was the best and they were only giving up a few runs. And when that changes, you just got to change your mentality and, you know, throw some things out the window. The, you know, typical like close ball games are just not going to happen. Like LSU, Georgia, great example, like also <laughs> crazy, like just. Georgia Auburn this past weekend. Yeah, home yeah. Runs, home runs, home runs. I, ultimately, I think it, it, when I think back to even that series, I know I'm getting a little bit off topic, but what was it? Game one, Georgia hit three home runs, but all of them were solo shots. So I think as a defense and as a pitcher, if you can try to limit the free passes and the errors that you make and just give up the solo shots, you still have a chance to win the ball game. Totally. I think that's almost, you know, the game plan at this point to just, if you're going to give up a home run, just pray it's a solo. <laughs> Caleb Bro, Madison Shipman here on the Out of the Box podcast as we steal second. Fun fact, you were both guests on the second episode ever of this podcast, but separate. So now on the 52nd episode, we've got you together, which is very hey. funny. <laughs> if you look at the SEC standings, ladies, there is a clump, a heck of a clump from five to 10, Florida, Auburn, Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss. They have all shown flashes of greatness. And then they have all shown moments of what, what was that? Ship, I'll start with you. Of those teams in that five to 10 range, who do you feel most confident in and possibly making a run in the NCAA tournament? Oh man, putting me on the spot here. Um, what in the five to ten range? Let's see. You've got Florida, Auburn, Georgia. Can you know it's it's so tough because all of them have such good offenses. Um, and so to me, I, I feel like it's going to come down to who's going to be able to limit the mistakes in the field and who's going to get that solid pitching in the circle. You know what? I, I really like the way that Maddie Penta has been throwing for Auburn right now. And, and I think that when you look at their pitching staff, I know I, I'm just looking over there waiting for Shelby Lowe to have one of those breakout games too. And I know she's somebody that's kind of been dealing with some nagging injury stuff, but I like that duo between Maddie Penta and Shelby Lowe out there in the circle. And they've got a lot of young guns in that lineup that, that don't put pressure on themselves. They just go up there hacking every single day. And they're a team that's just adjusted to whatever has been thrown their way. Uh, you look at their infield, some of them have been injured and they've had some games where they've made some errors they just move people around and they still just blast the ball out of the park so I think that that Auburn team would be a team that I would uh, definitely not want to play when it comes regional time uh, I gotta be honest with you like I'm looking at this list I think Florida will host right we're in that kind of a situation Georgia's on the bubble but I look at all those other teams and I'm like I if I was an opposing team in the top 16 and I found out that Georgia or Kentucky or like LSU's coming to my house, like all of a sudden I'm like, ah, oh, this sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> because they're, they're all battle tested. 
They've all played really, really strong opponents. They all like understand like the grind of winning, you know, a three game series or not losing twice, basically. And uh, I Mad- Maddie Auburn stood out to me, too. But then I, you know, I I always go back to Florida because, again, of that experience factor. And I think, you know, it's really interesting this year to see um, Florida kind of transitioning from they were at the top of the SEC for a little bit or at least up there with Arkansas, Alabama, you know. And then transitioning to kind of lower, I think people like see Florida on the Jersey and they're like, Oh gosh, like it's Florida. Like this is a big deal. This is a big team. And I think they put a lot of pressure on themselves to play a team. Like you're playing the name on the front of the Jersey. So I think um, Florida always just holds a lot of weight when teams play them. And if you know that Hannah Adams out with that injury, if they could get her back by the time regionals and all that kind of stuff comes around, that's going to be a complete game changer. And really, when I look at that offense, that's the one that I've been waiting for them to kind of fire on all cylinders. I think they've had some games where Charlotte Eccles has a three for three day and Skylar Wallace has been consistent all year long. And even Kendra Falby's kind of come on strong. She struggled a little bit at the beginning of SEC play, but is really finding her way around. I think if they can get to the point where they've got four or five hitters that are hitting at a consistent clip in that lineup they're a team that could definitely make a deep run as well yeah and do we get Hightower that pitched game one of the LSU series or game three of the LSU series like that's a big deal too yeah I I think if Charlotte Eccles can turn it on because she's just she's too good to be hitting below 290 which I think is where her average is right now and sometimes well sometimes she's getting snake bitten too I mean she'll hit the ball hard like line drives that's you know gap to gap hitter after my own heart right there you hit the ball hard and it goes straight to people in the outfield and sometimes there's just not much you can do about it good point I I did want to put us in the minds of a, a committee in some ways not necessarily selection committee for the NCAA tournament, but awards committees in the SEC. Right now, the most interesting race, besides freshman of the year, which I think is a total crapshoot and might come down to what happens this weekend, but player of the year has taken quite the turn. Bro, I will start with you. If you had to pick, who's your SEC player of the year? Okay, well, I blinked, like, looked at the stats from last week, and, like, Aaron Koffel seemed to be, like, really steady in all categories, and then I looked this week, and then all of a sudden, Sarah Mosley's just shot up her batting average she's in like 490 in conference play right now and all of a sudden I was like well I thought it was going to be uh Aaron Koffel but I think I might be leaning towards Sarah Mosley and then Lenny Malkin is also like Malkin is also really up there so I I don't know this is it's going to come down to who plays the best like in the last weekend like that's yeah. what's crazy about it I was going to say it's crazy I think it's going to come literally down to these three games and who has the hottest bat I mean because between like Mosley and even a, a KB sides I both of them are just hitting the ball so well. And the other thing I look at too is not, obviously it's not just based off of batting average, right? You're looking at run production or whatever it might be. We talked about that KB adds that, that stolen base factor, but she's also got several RBIs in conference play alone. I think she's up to 18. Um, Sarah Mosley's got 17 RBI with uh, seven home runs. So these are players that are not just getting on base at a really solid clip, but they're also being very productive in their at-bats. And Lenny Malkin, somebody that just jumped up out of nowhere. I mean, she's always had great numbers, but in conference play over the course of the past two weekends, her stats have just skyrocketed. Yeah, she's leading the conference 27 RBIs. Yeah, yeah just 27 RBIs. That's well, and I think the other thing, not just how they perform, but also how their teams perform. You know, Aaron Koffel can have a great weekend, but if Kentucky, you know, doesn't perform, if they finish below 500 in the SEC, in my opinion, that would be difficult for me to give player of the year to somebody from a team that would be eighth or ninth. So I feel like 
KB's kind of got the inside track just because they've already won the SEC. But if Georgia and Kentucky can sneak back into that top four with a good weekend as a whole and those players perform Mosley and Koffel, then I, I could certainly see that. Yeah, I think the coaches, too, when they vote for that, I think they're going to think back to their series and they're going to have like that little bit of a biased <laughs> approach to it where they're like, man, KB, when she came down, I mean, she just ruined our lives. Like she was miserable to deal with all weekend long. Like I think that could sway a lot of coaches. I think I don't think there's going to be like a unanimous, though. I think it'll be no. kind of spread out. I just can't believe like how high some of these numbers are. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's just, it, it's come to a point where you just almost expect these players to bat over 400, which is insane to me because that just wasn't the way things were when, when I think when we played, I mean, like with, with you, I guess you're batting 500. So it happens, but I mean, those five, those 400 numbers, I mean, those were, those were insane hitting numbers. And now even just looking at conference play, there's several batters that are batting over 400 and not just slappers, but yeah. power right-handed left-handed hitters. And I can tell you right now, I did not have those RBI. <laughs> <laughs> you were the one being scored, though. You were running. That's right. 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 Run right. scored, right. first, yeah. second, was, and third. I was not a candidate for player of the year. Okay, I want to step outside the SEC because, you know, as much as we all love this conference, the biggest series of the weekend is Bedlam. <laughs> Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. Oklahoma had, you know, the loss to Texas, there were a couple interesting moments in the Kansas series, surprisingly, but Oklahoma State has struggled without Miranda Ellis. She's been hurt uh, the last couple weekends. Maddie, what do the Cowgirls need to do to pull off the upset of Norman besides prey, of course? Uh, well, honestly, I think it's similar to what we were just kind of talking about, and it's just limit the home runs to solo shots. And you know that Oklahoma is going to hit the ball out of the park. And, and if you go into it with the mindset that you're not going to let it get you down when that does happen, I think you can be successful. But just try to limit the free passes, try to limit the errors. So that way, when they do hit the ball out of the park, it's just a solo shot. And on the flip side, I think Texas beating Oklahoma kind of uh, humanized Oklahoma in a sense, like similar to what happened last year with uh, them losing to Georgia in the middle of the year. I think it kind of makes everybody turn around and go, okay, somebody can beat them. So maybe we can be that team too. And Oklahoma state played Florida state close this past week. I think both games were what two to one losses mm -hmm. for them. And Florida state's is Florida state's just that team that they're going to find a way to win. It doesn't matter how they're going to do it. They just find a way to win every single time. So I think it's going to be a couple of good games this weekend, but yeah, the key I think for Oklahoma state is just going to be to try to limit the home runs to just those solo shots. Does Dylan yeah. have a take? Uh, yeah, Dylan thinks that Oklahoma State needs to pick up the offense a little bit. Their numbers are down this year. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is going to seem like a knock, but like Miranda Ellish is their best hitter in terms of batting average right now. Now she doesn't have the amount of that bats as some of the other players on the team, but I look at somebody like a Haley Busby that's an All-American and she's got to step up. She's got to be playing better than she's played up till this point in the season. You know, there's just players on that team that really need to show show something against Oklahoma. I think the good news for Oklahoma State is they're probably the only team that's really not scared of the Sooners. Like, they play them enough. The shine of Oklahoma being so great has worn off. And I think that's where um, Oklahoma State does well if they compete really hard against Sooners and they're not beat before they step on the field, which happens to a lot of teams that Oklahoma plays. Yeah. I just have to say, I wish that this were a visual medium because Dylan is greeting us so kindly right she now all the, the ways show. oh my goodness she is stealing the show look at that smile oh man we'll see who's smiling in norman probably not oklahoma state very many times but i do want to bring up something that i think is starting to become more of a conversation 
Yesterday, when the RPI was released, your new number one team was Virginia Tech. The Hokies' resume is light years better than Oklahoma's, like by far not even close. We've all given OU the number one seed because of eye test and because they've just got the one loss. But at one at what point, bro, do we need to start having a serious conversation about Virginia Tech as the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament? What has to happen? Ooh, I mean, I think that if you really want to look at it, I think Oklahoma needs to lose at least once, most likely twice, to Oklahoma State this weekend. And I think that uh, Oak, or excuse me, Virginia Tech needs to win their conference tournament. Like they need to like stamp themselves as like we are number one in the ACC, like number one in the tournament. We are like peaking at the right time. We're playing our best softball at the end and like doing everything in in that scenario <laughs> on the road. Um, to that selection committee's choice needs to be like picture perfect for Virginia Tech. And then my only hesitation though, is like, I still think like people are going to be pulled back to that eye test for Oklahoma. They're going to be pulled to say that like on, like when you watch Oklahoma and on paper, they just are the best team in the country. That being said, I think Virginia Tech's done a, a great job scheduling. They've challenged themselves. They're like, again, peaking at the right time. They've just done everything right. Um, and any other year, it'd probably be like an easy number one, but because Oklahoma is defending national champions and because they're who they are and they're like blowing up their stats even from last year, it's just tough. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that one. I think that that number one spot is Oklahoma's to lose. I think that Virginia Tech would is going to rely on Oklahoma losing a couple of games in order for them to move up into that spot, along with taking care of the games that they're supposed to in the ACC tournament. So I think that when we watch Oklahoma and the way that they command the box, the way they command themselves in the circle, uh, they play solid defense as well. I, I agree with Kayla. I think so far they're, they're the best team in the nation that we have seen. Um, now, Virginia Tech is a very, very good team. And I think at the beginning of the year, the big question was, were they going to be able to get that type of run support to be able to back up pitchers like Rochard and Lemley in the circle? And I think that they have proven over the course of the season that their hitting has gotten better and better. And I even think back to when they played Alabama at the beginning of the year, really close games, your typical pitchers duel type of games. And I think since then, their offense numbers and their uh, production one through nine have improved substantially to be able to keep on moving them up in that RPM ranking yeah totally with you you know I was calling those games and once you got past the top three or four in the Virginia Tech order you felt like Fouts and Kilfoyle would be able to handle things now one through nine not that easy against Virginia Tech Caleb bro Madison Shipman are here before we let you both go it's game time bro knows about this ship we have a game for you too bro we'll start (laughs) with you as always when you come on we play a round of what's good, bro, when you tell us what's good in college softball. So here we go. I will prep the voice. I don't have the backwards hat today. What's good, bro? It's good, bro. Um, uh, let's see, what's good? So a couple of things that are really good for me. Um, number one, uh, Cheyenne Lindsay this weekend in college softball struck out four times against LSU. And then she hits a home run to secure the W and to secure the series win against LSU on the road. But here's what was good about that. And this is what something I want like every hitter, every coach to hear is when she got on the interview after the game, she was like, I was just missing. It wasn't like poor, poor pitiful me. I've struck out four times. Oh man, darn it. It was, I just missed. And that mentality 
can change a player and it'll take you from striking out for the fifth time to going and hitting out the home, like hitting the home run. And uh, I think that's just like a friendly reminder for everybody out there that like how you translate things in your brain, like, Oh, I stink poor, poor me. Like, versus I'm right on it is one of the most powerful things that you can do in this sport. So that was really good. Something really awesome I saw. And then my next what's good is that um, this is my favorite time of the year because we're pushing on the final weekend of SEC play and then um, the SEC tournament in Gainesville. And uh, Maddie and I were on a call this morning for the tournament. And it's probably my favorite week of the year because I get to work with Maddie and Alyssa Lang and Tori Vidalis is joining us this year. And so like, that's, what's good for me is like tournament time is like one of the most special times. I think it's awesome. And I am so freaking stoked for it. So that's what's good. And we're all going to be there, which you're right. Everyone's going, going. So that's fun. <laughs> Maddie, your game is called that ship has sailed. Can I, can I interject really quick? Because I was on the same page. I was like, we need to get Madison on like the segment that says like, get that ship out of here. Like, like get those errors out of here. Okay. And so you, (laughs) Gail already, we talked way too much because she already knew where my mind was going on this. I'm going to go to the defense and I know I've said this before, but the hitters are very, very good in the SEC. Do not get me wrong. And I think the big story has been that the pitchers have these inflated ERAs. And now the hitters are hitting the ball hard. I totally get it. But I do think that as a whole, not just in the SEC, but in the world of softball, I would love to see us raise our standard for defensive play. And I, I don't just mean that strictly by the scoring, but I think as even defenders, there are balls that that we should be anticipating, that we should be getting to, balls that maybe you know hop off of the shoulder that it's ruled a hit where as a defender you're like man if I could just keep that in front if I could just make that play then I could get our team out of this inning and I could help my pitchers and not raise their ERA I think there are little things like that that when it comes to positioning um, just being able to block a ball keep it in front make a play make that effort those are the types of things that I would love to see more of across the game and I think that there are great examples of great defenders in our game do not get me wrong Um, but I think that it's a little one-sided to think that it's just the pitcher is not doing their jobs and that's what's raising the ERAs in the SEC I think that as defenders we can do a little bit more um, anticipate where a ball is going to end up reading hey this is the pitch that's going to be called this is the tendency that the, the hitter has in their swings up at the plate so this is more likely where the ball is going to go whether it be from a shortstop perspective in the five six hole or a little bit more up the middle taking a chance to try to make some of those plays to help your pitchers out because they are going up against some of the best hitters across across the nation week in and week out. And I think as defenders, we could just try to do a little bit more to be able to come up with some of those plays. Bro, get that ship out of here is now the official name of that segment. That's, <laughs> that's a much better name for that game. But I did want to ask Maddie, because I feel like this year, and even with Arkansas, you know, they've, they've had kind of a revolving door situation at shortstop. I feel like we've seen more unsettled defenses position-wise in the SEC. Could that be kind of factoring into what you're talking about too? I I definitely think so a a little bit. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that reason is. Uh, You know, people are hitting the ball hard. I think that maybe the focus has been more, hey, the home run ball is what's going to win us ball games. So maybe we take the time in our practice schedule, our limited amount of time that we have to practice, and we dedicate majority of the time to hitting rather than dedicating it to defense. And I know when I played we had a lot of one run, two run ball games. So we dedicate a majority of our practice time during the week to that type of defense. And even one of the years while I was there, we led the entire nation in fielding percentage that year. Um, it did help that we had players like 
Raven Siobhan and Kelly Grieve and Kat Dotson to be able to hit ground balls to our infield left and right. And we figured, hey, if you can make plays off of them, you can make plays off of anybody across the nation. But I do think that because the game has shifted more to an offensive game and the, the focus has been more pitching and offense rather than that defense back behind them. And it's a good point. And bro, meanwhile, would be out there in the outfield, just making diving catches left and right, ready to go. <laughs> Doing what she does best, covering all that outfield ground out there, yeah, stealing, yeah, hits, stealing hits away from people like me, ruining our weekends, you know. Yeah. Bro, did you ever yeah, have yeah, a, yeah. Uh, a home run robbery like what Katie Kissler did in the LSU not, I mean, I not one where like I literally like popped it and caught it with my other hand. No, I can't say that I did, nor did I ever do that in, in practice even. I don't think I have one of those to my name, but I did rob a home run one time, but that was maybe one, yeah, once for sure, maybe twice, but yeah, once okay. for sure, twice, but <laughs> we'll not. take the over on that. <laughs> Uh, all right, Madison Shipman, Kayla Bro, you're both amazing. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us on the Out of the Box podcast. And I'm so excited to see y'all in Gainesville next week. I hope that we can see y'all for an extended amount of time because that means we're still, Alabama's still in town. Thank you so much for hopping on. Thank you. Thanks, Gray. See you next week. Bye, Dylan. <laughs> Bye. So that was Madison Shipman and Caleb Rowe, and Tom magically is here for the oh, end of Oh, wow. Yes. So much fun. And I, I think that to hear the mechanical explanations behind the mindset going into those situational at-bats from both Bro and Shipman uh, was, was really interesting. And I, I love to get that from the people who've played this game because that's not something I, as an analyst, can provide because I haven't been there. Right, yeah. That's, I mean, that's one thing I was going to ask Coach Murphy as well in our pregame interview. Is that something you can coach? How, how how do you kind of pull that out of somebody? But it was great to hear what what they had to say about it. And you know, that's yeah, get, getting a a perspective of someone who's been in that in that position uh, is a lot better than just hearing a Facebook commenter say, "We'll just get a hit." Well, okay, they're trying. <laughs> well done. I promise they are trying. Also, congrats to Kayla Bro for literally renaming a segment oh. in the midst of the interview. Get that chip out of here. Is staying as our Maddie Shipman game. That's that's just that's happening. I love it. This ship has sailed. Was good. Kayla Bro's idea was better. Much better. So, as usual, Kayla's idea much better. That's so, why she's, I think, appeared on this podcast the most of anyone. I, is she an executive producer at this point? Pretty much. <laughs> Get, and it, getting all the profits, which are zero. In fact, she's in my ear telling us it's time to round third. When we come back, Bracketology and what big games are this weekend besides Bethlehem, because that's the one everyone's going to be really watching. That's next when we get back here on the Out of Box Podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back. It's time to round third. Gray, Tom, you know us. I hope you love us. If not, not sure why you're still listening. We appreciate it either way. <laughs> Bracketology.
that's where we're going, as we always do this time of year when we round third. Tom, I've got my list of 16 seeds and then four teams just on the outside. I will read them now. Okay. Here we go. Number one, Oklahoma. But you know, the, the gap has narrowed with the number two seed, Virginia Tech, and we can maybe talk more about that in a bit. Florida State, the three seed, Arkansas, four, Alabama, five, UCLA, six, Northwestern, seven, Oklahoma State, eight, Washington, nine, Tennessee, 10, Florida, 11, Arizona State, 12, Duke, 13, Clemson, 14, Texas, 15, and LSU at 16, and just on the outside, Missouri, one spot out, UCF, Oregon, uh, so mad about it, we can talk about that too, and Georgia. Let me read the Supers matchups. One Oklahoma, 16 LSU. Good luck. That would actually be entertaining. I think, yeah, because LSU could. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if they decide, you know, right. yeah, we're good. You know, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. 215, Virginia Tech, Texas. Oh. 314. By, by the way, Virginia Tech, Texas, uh, two teams, 0 and 4 against Alabama. Oh, year. well said. Just putting that out there. 314, Florida State, Clemson. 413, Arkansas, Duke. 512, Alabama, Arizona State. This is the first matchup I've drawn up for the Tide where I looked at it and said, eh, I don't love that one. I don't want, no. 611, UCLA, Florida, which, wow. That would be interesting. <laughs> 710, Northwestern, Tennessee, and 8-9, Oklahoma State and Washington. So, Tom, I've got my 11 pages of profiles. Give me what you got. All right. Well, the first question, because you've actually texted this in the group as well, what, what, what's wrong with Oregon? Why, why are oh. you so upset at the Ducks? What did they do to you? What did they do? They didn't win anything. All right, so strength of schedule's at one. It's real good. Non-conference strength of schedule's at three. RPI's at 16. That's all great. Yeah. We love the metrics. The mm -hmm. committee worships at the altar of the RPI, the strength of schedule, and the non-conference strength of schedule, and especially that last part. But what have we always said? You can schedule as tough as you want, but you got to win some of the games. Yeah, you got to beat somebody. Oregon is 0-4 against the RPI top 10 and 0-11 against the RPI top 25. Eight RPI top 50 wins. You know, that's the same number as Texas, but Texas is less than pretty much everybody else around them. It's just not good enough. Your best wins are Ole Miss, who's at 26, Oregon State three times, and Arizona who are both those teams are outside the top 35. There aren't a ton of horrible losses, but they haven't beaten anybody. Hmm. And I just, I can't just reward you for playing the tough teams. You've got to beat some of them. Now, Oregon will have a couple opportunities perhaps going forward, but bottom line, it's going to really make me angry if that zero stays a zero or even just becomes a one in the RPI top 25 win column and they get to host because they haven't done anything to deserve it. You said the gap narrowing between Oklahoma and Virginia Tech. So last week you said there's zero chance Oklahoma is not the number one overall seed. Is there a chance now? I think Virginia Tech becoming RPI number one kind of opened my eyes. I was like, oh, okay. Now the committee would actually have a basis, a metrical basis based on what they typically see these teams on to make that decision. I don't think it'll happen. I think Virginia Tech has to, as Bro and Chip talked about, win the ACC tournament and hope OU trips up either once or twice against Oklahoma State or somewhere in the Big 12 tournament. But Virginia Tech's resume is just in every way better than Oklahoma's. The only area where they struggle is the amount of losses they have, which is six 
compared to OU's one. But the profile for Oklahoma is pretty weak compared to the Hokies and most teams around them. And I can see a world where, you know, the committee can make this decision and rationalize it. And while I wouldn't do it, I, I think it would take a lot for me not to, to just unsee what, what Oklahoma's put up this year. Right. I, I wouldn't be as pissed off as I think some others would be because there are things here that suggest that Virginia Tech has a case to be the one seed. We, uh, we're the Alabama play-by-play crew. Yes. Um, what? Yes. What do you think is Alabama's floor and ceiling as far as seeding goes right now? You have a number five uh, with one conference series left to play plus the conference tournament. It depends on a couple things. One, who wins some of the conference tournaments? And is it you? Because I think if you win the SEC tournament, you know, your profile is better than Arkansas's, in my opinion, if you're Alabama. There is a case there to potentially jump the Hogs. Uh, I think also if UCLA wins the Pac-12, then they can jump you. So, so it feels very in flux. I will say this. I feel really solid about Alabama's overall looking profile. Seventh in strength of schedule, seventh in non-con SOS, four top 10 wins, 11 RPI top 25 wins, 22 top 50 wins, their worst loss quote unquote, is at Western Kentucky, which is 42 in the RPI, which now when you look around, everybody around you except for OU has a loss worse than that RPI wise. So I feel pretty safe, especially if Alabama wins the series this weekend, that the tide will be no worse than a six seed or maybe a seven seed if the committee truly puts value on conference championships and bumps up Northwestern. But I think that seven is probably the floor for the Crimson Tide. And the ceiling, probably three. Does that that feel safe? I think so. I think Virginia Tech's done enough and their profile has now surpassed Alabama's that it would be hard for me to see head-to-head mattering enough there to put Alabama above the Hokies. Missouri, the other hand, the other side of the series this weekend with the Crimson Tide, Missouri, you have them at number 17. What does it take for Missouri to get into the top 16 this weekend? They need some RPI top 10 wins. They're 0-3 right now against the RPI top 10. They've got six RPI top 25 wins, which are solid, a hefty amount of top 50 wins, but they're missing some of those top end victories. I've Really waffled between Missouri and LSU, but I bumped LSU up to the 16 spot because they've got five victories over the RPI top 10. Two against Alabama, a road win at Arkansas, and a neutral site victory over Oklahoma State. And those are really impressive to me. The other thing dragging down Missouri, there are bad losses and then there are horrible losses. And Missouri's loss to Ball State, which is 177 in the RPI, is going to be one of those things that if it you know, comes down to splitting hairs like we talked about, that's something that can be a major negative aspect of this Missouri profile. But they need they need to win a game this weekend at least. You know, you get swept, the dream is probably dead of hosting regionals. But if you win a game, even just the one, and you get that one RPI top 10 win, you're in a pretty good position compared to a lot of the teams around you. UCF's got one, Georgia's got two, Kentucky's got two. Oregon doesn't have any. Texas has two. You know, you wouldn't be as far off as it feels like when you've got a zero in that department. Last thing we've been talking the last few weeks, or even you know, since we started doing bracketology, that there was kind of a line of demarcation with like the top five or six, and then there's a drop off. 
but that's kind of been blurred a little bit with the way things have gone in the last couple of weeks. Do you think there is still that line somewhere in those top, somewhere in the top eight, or is it pretty much Oklahoma and everybody else? In my opinion, Tom, I would say that there are seven teams right now that I feel pretty darn good about hosting as a top eight national seed. I think the cutoff is Northwestern. I think that if Oklahoma state wins two against Oklahoma, they can swoop their way in and we might already know our top eight seeds barring a Tennessee or Florida run in a conference tournament. Or if the committee looks past Arizona state's many profile flaws and gives them a bump for winning the PAC 12, should they do that? This actually feels pretty cut and dry in terms of which teams deserve to be on this list, but the different, like you said, the, the different delineations between super safe, supers bubble, regional safe and regionals bubble feels much blurrier than it has been in years past. Right. You know, I think right now you can look at 14 through 20 on this list, Clemson, Texas, LSU, Missouri, UCF, Oregon, and Georgia, and argue for any of those teams to host regionals and also find a lot of proof as to why they shouldn't. Clemson is not good against the RPI top 10 or really the top 25, but they're number 14 right now. There are pros and cons to everybody. And I think that that means conference tournaments and this final week of the regular season is going to matter a whole heck of a lot, maybe more than it ever has with that back half of the regionals hosting side. So no pressure, but it all comes down to this. Basically, basically. right. Teams that don't play this weekend or maybe have, you know, chances to just get some wins like Florida, you know, Mercer and Florida Gulf coast can be tricky, but there aren't, I don't consider those slip-offs. If they yeah. lose one of those games and that's a big issue, right. but I don't see them in danger of falling. They're probably feeling pretty good about it and knowing that they can, you know, take a week and get ready to really make a case to be a top eight seed in the sec tournament. Is that it? All right. I think so. Okay. I think we're good. Whew, next week's going to be fun. And remember folks, when we get to the sec tournament, I'm going to be updating bracketology daily. So I'll be, you know, during the games, like, Hey, this just happened. And this is what this means for this team. So stay tuned for that. I hope the committee is doing the same thing. Same. I mean, I look, I, I like pour over these sheets. Mm. And I would like to think that the committee is doing that too. And I will say to their credit, there are more softball people this year. So I hope that means that they are doing a little bit more due diligence behind, you know, just looking at the RPI and strength of schedule numbers. In my opinion, that would make eye test important, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. see. Mm-hmm. Big games this week already tonight, Liberty and Virginia tech. They're in a lightning delay. They might've already called it. Actually. I'll look it up. Yes. The game has been called in six innings. Virginia tech beats Liberty 13 to nine. Oh my. <laughs> Mary Claire Wilson with seven RBI, including a grand slam off of Keeley Rochard. Liberty, bibbity. Yeah. So Virginia Tech, luckily, we don't have to have a conversation about what that loss does for them. So congrats to them. <laughs> that, Good work. That would have ended the dream of, yeah. of being the number one overall. <laughs> Cut that down real quick. <laughs> Thursday night throwdowns, Tom. They've been a hit. These Thursday night games have been so much fun. Florida State, Oklahoma State this past week and this week. We got Bedlam. I believe it's now on ESPN. Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. Good golly, Moses. <laughs> Very Bedlamy as uh, the Bedlamist. Yeah, the Bedlamist, as uh, Beth Moen said. Yeah, BMO, Smitty, the whole gang, they're all going to be there. And I'm so excited that this game's on a Thursday because there's no conflict for me. I can just, and, and I assume for you, I don't know, you have a family, but I can just, I can just sit and watch this game. And yeah. I feel like we never get to do that True. on these final weekends. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to it. 
Okay, now, as per usual, Tom, let's look elsewhere. Pick a series. What sticks out at you based on what's happening Friday, Saturday, and Sunday beyond, of course, Bedlam? Well, UCLA and Arizona State, basically for the Pac-12 in Tempe. Uh, these are the type of series that Arizona State has not been able to win. Yeah. This, this is where the dream has gone to die for the Sun Devils uh, when they've been in this type of position before, when they've had a team capable of doing it. The Bruins, you know, they've been there. They know how to win. They know how to win when the uh, when it's the highest of stakes. Uh, Arizona State, we'll see if they can. But being in Tempe, I think the Sun Devils will have that good chance. And I think this is going to be a great series. How does UCLA respond after getting run ruled at home by the last place Utah Utes? What what and what in the it was it was wild. I kept <laughs> updating the stat broadcast. Like, is this real? I looked at James McIntyre, who was with me. I was like, James, what what is this? What 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 is this? Right. And by the way, people, UCLA getting run ruled at home by Utah, much more catastrophic than Alabama getting run ruled on the road by Texas A&M. Oh, just like for a lot of reasons. I, I'm neither was good. Right. But there is a difference. Yes. I looked on the final score graphic, assuming it was going to be a dumpster fire. There were like nine comments. Remember off the walls coming. Yeah. 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 I will say UCF at Wichita state one game separates these two teams in the American athletic conference standings. UCF has that one game lead. Wichita state that is playing incredible softball. They have what seven home runs in one inning this past weekend. This is a shockers team. That's really rounding into form. UCF has, shown good flashes but their offense has been a little stagnant at times in conference play in wichita that makes this a really fun series and from the reports that are being uh, put out there as well with negotiations going on could be the final american athletic conference series ever for ucf wow and also again ucf just two spots out on the bracketology right they you know win three games at wichita state you're gonna you're gonna see at least a deeper look from me yeah. At being in that top 16 seed. And, and like you said, the ones that are, you know, everywhere from 14 down, very losable at any point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a huge series in more ways than one for the Knights. All right, Tom. That's us rounding third. Shall we head home? Let, let's do that. When we come back, picks. <laughs> uh, slow, low, evil laugh, because... Don't count your chickens. We have a change in the standings. Not over yet. (laughs) Okay. That's next on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It's time to head home. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. What a show we have had. We're going to skip the recap, though, because there's a lot we need to talk about. Okay. We have a new leader. Hmm. In the picks with four correct last week. Tis I, Gray Robertson in front with 27. Tom got two right, and he's one behind at 26. And I will say, I almost got five until Ole Miss decided to win game three against Tennessee. (laughs) I would have been up by two if the Lady Balls did their thing. But instead, I'm up by one, and I win the week. So for the first time ever, we have the leader, I believe, I'm pretty sure, picking first on the final weekend of regular season picks. Wow. This is for, for all the marbles of the regular season. There is so much pressure on me right now. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I'm nervous. So we've added a couple games that are important for other conferences. 
We will start, of course, at Bedlam. Oklahoma mm. State at Oklahoma. Oklahoma has won 26 of the last 27 in this series, but the Cowgirls did win game one last year. That was in Stillwater. All three of these are in Norman. And yet, Kelly Maxwell is pitching great right now. I think she gets a game. I'm going to take Oklahoma to win the series 2-1. Elish being hurt is a concern. That's a big problem. I'm not what, sure they'll be able to outscore the Sooners. What is her injury? I, I just saw that she was questionable for the weekend. I've read bicep injury. I, they need her in the lineup and yeah. in the circle. Right. But I think that Kelly Maxwell can get a game. So I'm going to take the Sooners to win it 2-1. I say that not very confidently because the last time I picked against the Sooners in a series, they run-ruled Texas three times last year. <laughs> Tom, what do you think? Well, I, I actually, when Texas beat Oklahoma in the one game, I actually picked that this year. True. But in Norman, Oklahoma sweeps them. All right, so after that, we'll be tied. And then... <laughs> well done. <laughs> UCLA at Arizona State, potentially for the pack. Arizona State sweeps, the pack is theirs. Anything else, and math gets involved, and that's a whole mm. thing. And, of course, Arizona State does play Washington next week. So still a lot in play for the Sun Devils. But as for this weekend, it's the Bruins in Tempe, and I'm taking the Bruins 2-1. UCLA has won nine straight in this series. They've won 15 of the last 16. I think Arizona State's got them exactly where they want them if UCLA hadn't just lost to Utah. That feels like the kind of loss that Kelly, I can say, see all the things we've been telling y'all that you haven't been doing? I'm, I'm just assuming. Yeah. This is what happens. And I think we're going to see a very focused UCLA come out and win this series and essentially lock up the Pac-12. I've got the Bruins winning 2-1. But I think the Sun Devils have that chip on the shoulder of like we talked about last segment that this is the series that it's been the roadblock this is the team you know Arizona State's been kind of on that cusp yeah. of, of being able to break through to being a more elite program an elite team and these are the type of series they have to win to do that especially at home I'm gonna say the Sun Devils win two games to one so after that I'll be back up by one <laughs> Now we get into the SEC, the meat and potatoes, mm. and what an interesting final weekend it will be. Auburn at Tennessee. Oh, my God. You know, the Lady Balls actually are still in play to be the number two seed in the SEC tournament. If they sweep and Alabama loses twice, then Tennessee can be the two seed. I don't think Tennessee sweeps, though. I think Maddie Penta gets a game. I've got the Lady Balls 2-1. I am, too. I'm going to go 2-1 Tennessee being in Knoxville. That doesn't necessarily bring the normal cachet that I think it, it normally would. But that being said, last weekend at home, an Auburn team that's kind of up and down, I think they get two good performances from Ashley Rogers. All right. I can dig it. Yeah. Ole Miss at Georgia. Georgia just lost the series to Auburn. Ole Miss just beat Tennessee two out of three times, and now they're going to Athens. Is Ole Miss a thing now? Are we like – I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I really want to see which regional they get sent to, though, because I, have mm. a, I think I have a clear idea of what team I think they have a chance against and right. what team I think they have no shot against, mm -hmm. depending on where they go. That being said, we're picking Ole Miss at Georgia, and I'm taking Georgia 2-1. Not confidently, might I add. No. But I think also Georgia knows where they are. They're just outside that bubble situation their non-conference strength of schedule is brutally bad so they they can't waste moments like this they've got to win this series if they want to have any shot to host i'm going to make a somewhat strategic pick here i don't want this series because i don't really have a good grasp on it either uh, i don't want this series to uh 
make a determination on who wins our overall pick. So I'm going to also going to pick Georgia two one. <sighs> Jerk. <laughs> Kentucky at South Carolina. Yeah, Kentucky sweeps. Yeah, Kentucky right. sweeps. Okay. okay, moving on. Yeah. LSU at Mississippi State. What makes the least amount of sense here, Tom? Because it's worked well for each of us it's at true. times this year. It's true. I'm actually going to pick probably the most sensible pick, which I feel like is stupid, but I think LSU is going to go through a, uh, all right, we blew it. That Florida series, we blew it. We need to have a strong showing. We need to win the series. I think Mississippi State again proves difficult and tricky in one game, but I've got the Tigers winning the series 2-1. I think LSU could go the other way. I think LSU could, ah, we blew it. Eh, Mississippi State wins 2-1. Oh, great. Thank you for that. <laughs> Feel good about that. All right. Finally, Arkansas at Texas A&M. Hogs just need one to lock up the conference title solo. Aggies, what? You know, they, they beat a Alabama. They look great. And then they struggle against Lamar, get swept by Missouri. The injuries continue to just be an issue. And they just, they look tired watching that Missouri series, Tom. I'm taking Arkansas to win 2-1. I, I think that... A&M probably steals game three. I mean, I could see that, but I could also see Arkansas going in and do what similar to what Alabama did to LSU in 2019, uh, win games that they didn't even have to. Uh, so I'm going to say Arkansas sweeps them. Yeah. yeah, and we should note, if Arkansas gets swept and Alabama sweeps, technically we're all co-champions. Yes. I'm putting the percentage chance at 0.001% of that happening. Right. I, yeah, I doubt that happens. <laughs> but if it does, I am absolutely claiming it. And, For sure. And we, and we keep that streak alive. I'm, I'm just not holding my breath. No, no. But more so more so because there's no way that no. Texas A&M sweeps Arkansas. Hell to the no. <laughs> I mean, no. Alabama, they could get a wild hair and sweep Missouri. If they play to their potential and Missouri doesn't, Alabama could sweep Missouri. I do not see a scenario where A&M sweeps Arkansas. No. I'd love it, but I don't see that. Not sorry. Come on, Joe, give it a shot. <laughs> but I don't think so. But that does bring us to Missouri to Alabama. It's Hall of Fame weekend. It's going to be a lot of emotions. It's graduation weekend. The Kaylee Tao will be honored. We've got lots of people in town. Exams are finished for everybody else. It's that time of the year where you finally get to just be a softball player and not have to worry about everything else. We've all slept for like, 50 hours straight. Oh, yes. We were rested, ready to go. All the melatonin. Yes. It's good stuff. That being said, I'm kind of going with what I picked in the Georgia series. I'm taking Alabama win 2-1. I think that there will be a day, either on Senior Day or maybe Hall of Fame Day. I don't think that, you know, that just seems like the kind of day where emotions could get real high and Missouri might come out and say, you know, our plan is to ruin today for you. And they find a way to do that. I don't know what day it'll be, but I think Missouri, just based on how they've played, they're pitching better. The offense has been scary one through nine. I think the Tigers find a way to win one game. I've got Alabama taking the series 2-1. Uh, I do too. I don't I don't have a way to pinpoint a specific game or a reason why Alabama would lose one. A series victory over Missouri, even if it is 2-1 and not a sweep, I think a 2-1 win is going to be just fine for Alabama. 2-1 locks you in as the two seed for the SEC tournament. Locks you in as probably a top six seed in the NCAA tournament. Right. And I think depending on how you do it could answer a lot of questions and kind of soothe some of the, the grumblings that are going right. on. Is that your segue? Grumblings? So. No, grumblings. Yes. Nicely done. Yes. It's time for off the wall. Mm. I'm going to let you go first. Oh my. Please dive in, Tom. What have we seen? What have we not seen in the last week? <laughs> 
Uh, we've seen, we've seen, I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much is pretty much uh, how, how that has gone. One thing that I've noticed, people don't understand what the word, what the phrase free speech is. Yes. Not just softball, just in general, just in the world today. People don't understand what free speech is. Alabama turning the comments off on Facebook and Twitter posts does not hamper your free speech. No. You are perfectly capable and allowed to say whatever you want on any other posts, on your own posts. You can share Alabama's posts and make your comments there. It, it really affects you in zero percent of anything that Alabama's turned their comments. As I like to say, not one iota. None. Zero. Not a bit. Nary none at all. <laughs> Have your, has your free speech been hampered? Uh, I've seen people say, well, you know, Patrick Murphy turned off the comments. Patrick Murphy had nothing to do with it. He, I don't even know if he knows. I doubt he does. <laughs> he has something to do with it. Uh, it was a, a decision made because, one, uh, things got ugly during the Western Kentucky game. And then just in general, with the environment and things that are going on in all of sports right now, just don't need the negativity. Yeah. And, and the reason why the yeah. off-the-wall segment exists is because of people being negative when Alabama wins. So, you know, unfortunately it gets much worse when Alabama doesn't and it's not unique to Alabama. Like I said, when UCLA lost a much worse game to Utah, the comments were not near as overwhelming on their posts as it was. Now there may have been other posts again, outside of the actual posts from the school they may have been talking about it and you're perfectly and you're certainly allowed to that's where we're going to get our off the wall comments from here on out yeah as we are as... mining the facebook group now <laughs> yes it's how yeah. we do it and i'm perfectly fine i have 100 i'm in 100 agreement with alabama turning off the comments um we'll see if that continues uh but it is not an inalienable right for you to comment on the final score graphic now we're going to get to the serious stuff in a sure, minute yeah. but before we dive into that shall we begin talking about the conspiracy oh my god the conspiracy heard round the facebook get your tinfoil hats out i'm not gonna name names but it it won't be hard (laughs) to look this up (laughs) there seems to be a belief that patrick murphy (laughs) and the university of alabama is throwing games throwing games against texas a&m at the behest of the southeastern conference to get more teams in the NCAA tournament. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. We have seen over the years some off-the-wall things. This is the -the (laughs) off-the-wallest. This is the bedlamist of them all. (laughs) Yes. This is the Hawaii of the Good Bull Barbecue of the Montana Fouts of all off-the-walls. I mean, and to not only say it once, but when me, you, and Emily Pitek, I doubt that there are three people in that Facebook group more, besides players, I know there are some players in there, who are more in tune with Patrick Murphy and the Alabama softball program than the three of us. Yeah. So we all say this is not a thing. It's ludicrous. Double down, triple down, quadruple down. Talk Mm. down to me, said I was, I'm too smart. I should see it. Right. Well, I I am smart. I am proud of my honors college degree, Mm. but I'm smart enough to know that not all conspiracy theories are true. Here's the other thing I'm smart enough to not do. Mm. Last night I was at an event on Monday night. Commissioner Sankey was right there. Mark Womack, one of my dad's best friends, right there at the top of the SEC food chain. 
you, Charlie Hussey was there. I have Tiffany Daniels number. I could text any of them. I'm not going to waste their time with that because it's not real. No, it's, There's no world where the SEC is saying, first off, to Alabama, hey, lose these games so AM can get the tournament. And second off, that Patrick Murphy is saying, okay. Right. What? Yeah. First time I've ever been accused of being woke. <laughs> You're accusing high-level officials and Hall of Famer Patrick Murphy of cheating. Because not, you know, laying down, not playing to your is cheating. And they are not cheaters. They, they, would, they would certainly never do that. Texas A&M would not want them to do that. No. No other team in this, South Carolina, for goodness sakes, wants you to give them their best shot. Yes. I can't even believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery because that's what this was. <laughs> But to double, triple, and quadruple down on it, just idiotic. I'm trying to imagine Stephanie Van Brakel pro throw. <laughs> if Murph walks in and says, all right, Steph, this is the game we're throwing. What is Steph's face? Right, yeah. Does it finally explode in anger? Is that is that the moment? Right. Because, I mean, there's yeah. no shot in hell. No. Steph wouldn't throw a game of Scrabble no. against Julian when he's 12. <laughs> like, that no. hopscotch? Steph's going hard against her right. two-year-old child. Like, there's no throwing of Compet- Competitors compete. There's no way, not just Patrick Murphy or the coaches, the players themselves are not going to say, you know, I'm not going to give it my all. Jenna Johnson is 0 for 10 or whatever she is. She's tried her damnedest all 10 of those times to get a hit. <laughs> but it's, it's softball. It's a game of failure. It happens. Now, I do want to talk about why we do off the wall. Yeah. Because uh, there has been a lot of discussion in the college sports community the last couple of months and college softball in particular the last week after uh, the, the passing of Lauren Burnett at JMU about mental health. And it's part of the reason I, why the comments were turned off at Alabama, part of the reason why um, we've seen so much vocal outcrying from coaches and former athletes and people on current teams about the need for rational thinking and to think about the way that you talk to college athletes off the wall was created to point out some of the the stupid things that people say, but also what you say matters. And, you know, people are affected different ways by how things are said and you never know what anybody's going through. You know, one of the things that I always tell people when they ask, great, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, well, I'm working. And I said, all right, what are you doing in the days before you work? And I said, well, I'm, I'm working. And what people don't really understand sometimes about sports is that it can actually be a pretty lonely place. The community is great, but there are times where when something happens to you individually, you can feel like you are trapped in this own little world and that nobody would understand. And that's what a lot of people working in sports, coaching in sports, playing in sports deal with. Just what you say matters. You know, think before you press send. You never know how somebody's going to take something that's said to them. It's part of social media as a whole, and it's an epidemic in America and the world of people that because they can communicate with people on social media, they think they have a relationship with somebody. They think they can say things and they say it behind a keyboard that they would never say to somebody's face. Right. They would never, they, they think that they're expert. <laughs> I mean, we, we see this anytime anything happens politically, anything happens, we've seen it with the pa- pandemic, everyone becomes a, a biology expert, everyone becomes a constitutional scholar, everyone becomes, you know, a and in sports, everyone becomes 
an expert on how to throw pitches. Everyone mm. becomes an expert on hitting. A- expert uh, bracketologist, expert right. pollster. Yeah, it's like everyone knows how it should be done when, when somebody has a bad day or somebody does something, you think you can come at them uh, and talk to them like they're not actual people. And the problem is social media has created what most people, 99% will never actually meet the people that they're commenting about on Facebook or, or Twitter or anywhere on social media. Uh, and but they've gone from just yelling at yelling it to a TV to typing it on social media where that person can actually see it. Yeah. And you never know how that's going to going to react or how, how the person's going to react when they see that. Like I say, you never know what anybody else is going through, what's happening in their real lives, because, you know, softball, it's an important part of people's lives. It's an important part of, of these players lives. It's not their entire lives. Right. There are other things going on a lot of times the last thing that they need is some 65 year old man coming to them and telling them that they suck at softball. The one thing they think they're good at the thought process behind the demographics, the age range, the, you know, the gender, everything behind some of these interactions on, on social media, it's very toxic and wrong. I don't know what you can do about it other than try to ignore it as much as possible, but telling a 20 year old to ignore social media is going to be pretty dang tough. It's pretty, pretty difficult. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not, this is not something that is only, you know, college age female athletes. Mental health has been now discussed more openly and needs to be even more openly discussed with the males as well. But, you know, this is definitely something, you know, older men talking down to these female college girls is just unacceptable. The point of this, the point of all this conversation is just to, to try and better people, to try and, you know, check on your people, make sure that they know that they're loved. As connected as we are because of social media, we're probably more disconnected with each other than we've ever been. Yeah. I know that that's a pretty cliche thing to say, it's true. but it's yeah. true. Yeah. Just be good to people. And the mental health conversation is something that is important and needs to be had. Uh, something potentially on this podcast is in the works with people more educated about it yeah. than us. Because we're, I mean, we're really not qualified no. to discuss it. And that's something I'm working on for the yeah. off season okay. to, uh, to figure something out. Um, wonderful that we, we can have that yes. discussion because I, I think it is important because yeah. people people really you know if you're not in that arena and we're only partially in it then you can't possibly understand all the pressures that these athletes right. deal with and i'll put a button on this by saying of course we're thinking about the entire jamie program and the burnettes and everybody involved there because it i can't even imagine the heartbreak of that and you know seeing somebody one day who won your conference player of the week. And then right. you know, the next day getting that kind of news, it's, well, that, it's devastating. And that's why we say, you never know what somebody's going through exactly. because, you know, on the top of the world from what she was doing softball. Right. Heartbreaking. Thinking about everybody at JMU and the softball world, because it, you, you heard from a lot of people and Jesse Warren put out a, a really good article on extra inning softball that I think came out today. I, I read it. It's really solid, really good, tells her story. And that, you know, even, even the All-Americans are dealing with anxieties and, oh, yeah. and different things that, that you don't see when you're watching them on TV. So I, I really encourage everybody to read that article as well. I believe it's free to the public, uh, not behind a paywall. So uh, definitely go and check that out. What a good show. Uh, thank you to Madison Shipman and bro and Dylan for hopping on. Can't wait to see them at the SEC tournament. We've got a big weekend coming up. Three games, Alabama, Missouri, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll be on the TV side Friday and Saturday. 
for SEC Network Plus with Kate Brooks. Tom, you're doing radio solo Friday and Saturday. We're back together for the regular season finale on Sunday. As I always say, love it if you tune in. But it's easier to go back and watch ours than it is to go back and listen to the radio, although the Varsity app has made that a little simpler. You're right. But still, Tom, where can the people find the Crimson Tides Force Network radio broadcast all weekend long? All weekend long, we're on in Tuscaloosa over the airwaves on 97.5 FM. Uh, that Nick 97.5 also on uh, Nick975.com and the MeTV975 app. Those are available at all times. And then also, like you said, the varsity app, you can get every Alabama softball game there as well. And of course you can get all this information on Twitter. I'm at gray underscore Robertson, Tom. T Canterbury, R-T-R-C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. And the podcast Twitter at out of box underscore pod. Again, thank you so much to ship and bro. And thank you to you listeners. Yeah, it's been a long season. We've seen a lot in this sport, a lot of good, a lot of bad. And we're almost to the finish line of the regular season. And the postseason, Tom, is right around the daggum corner. Can yeah. you believe it? Oh, I'm, I'm ready. And it does, you know, we've talked about it all year long. It goes up another notch when you mm. get into postseason play. So we're almost there, uh, but got to gotta finish up the regular season strong here this weekend. And we hope that you will come to Rhodes if you have tickets. Yes, if you have tickets, Come. If you can't come, give the tickets to somebody who can, because somebody will take them. And if you don't have tickets, make sure you tune in in whatever medium you choose to Alabama, Missouri this upcoming weekend. Get that ship out of here. <laughs> For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. We'll see you next time on the Out of Box Podcast. <laughs>